0: The triathlon hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. To me, it seems like everyone in triathlon is starting to use Pillar Performance's triple magnesium to improve their sleep. So try it for yourself and use the discount code HTT20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Talbot, I was flying back home from the PTO US Open and I was reflecting back on everything from the race week and sort of thought to myself, there's just so many little things that happened behind the scenes that I think every triathlon fan would just love to be a fly on the wall for. And I'm sure, um, having been to dinner with you one of those nights, that you also had like heaps of those stories. And so I sent you a message and said, hey, do you want to catch up and just do a little bit of a behind the scenes at the PTO US Open um, week podcast? And You said straight away, yep, let's do it. Uh, And I think you're the perfect person to join me for it.
1: Ah, thanks, man. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I think that there is, like, I'm just going to use myself for example here. I think that there is some insane content creators and videographers out there that are like 10x better than I am. But I think that what I love is I hate when a sponsor is telling me to shoot something that they love or their design or their video or the sponsorship bit ad. And I just want to do what I wanted to see when I was a kid. And all I wanted to see when I was a kid or when I became such a triathlon fan is I just wanted a behind-the-scenes vlog-style look at like what goes on behind the scenes. And so the second you messaged me this, I was like, dude, that's literally all the content I make. None <laughs> of it is this beautiful stuff like Eric Lagersham and all them that are actually talented at doing videos. Mine's just like raw I'm th- I'm there in the moment. So when I when you messaged me this, I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Let's freaking do it.
0: Literally. And uh and- one of those stories from your vlogs that we have to talk about, we'll save this, we'll save this for a little bit later, is the the Mark Dubrick story and Jan Ferdino having no idea who Mark Dubrick is and then that sort of following Mark everywhere that week. So like every time oh, I saw dude. Mark Dubrick, <laughs> everyone was just going up to him and like <laughs> talking about that story. And uh, I know like the last <laughs> night. So after the women's race, so like the men's race was on the Friday, the women's race was on the Saturday and um, we had like a, you know, there was like an athletes and friends and family sort of thing and I went along, like I was Fred Funk's date for that Um, and Mark Dubrick was one of the last guys out and it was like 4 a.m. And everyone was still talking to him about it. Like everyone was still going oh up to him about God. it. Oh,
1: my God. There was like five people right there. So I'll, that was hilarious. Yes, let's totally hit on that. Yeah, totally yeah. hit on that. But we got a lot of we got a lot of stories. We were just chatting a little bit. We have like 15, 20 little stories.
0: Yeah, I'll start us. Um, so I got a really good one to start us. And uh, I'm not sure how much of this is true and how much of it sort of got like exaggerated throughout the course of a a little drinks thing that we had. So um, we went out for drinks with a few of the athletes the night um, after the men's race. And so it was like myself, Frederick Funk, Aaron Royal, um, who else was there? Josh Amberg was there. Sam Appleton was there. Fred Funk's manager was there. um, Your good friend, Pat Lemieux, Gwen Jorgensen's husband was there. Um, And then you joined us a little bit later on that night for a few drinks um, after dinner. And a story that got told there was that um, Magnus live, so he was pretty disappointed with his race. Uh, He obviously was in the lead group for most of the day and was in a really good position running in second and third. Um, And and everyone sort of expected Magnus to, if not win the race, definitely podium the race. And then out of nowhere on the broadcast, everyone was watching and um, he was running in second um, at the time, or maybe it was third at the time, I've sort of forgotten and then out of nowhere, he was just walking and then he, he wasn't just walking, then he would pulled out of the race. Um, and he was really disappointed. Like it wasn't one of those ones where he's like, oh, yeah, I had a bad day or I was just tired from Roth. No, like Magnus was super disappointed about it and really flat on himself. And um, he was so flat that what he did was he left all of his bike and all of his, uh, all of his stuff in T- T1 or T2 uh, and he, he's, he left that for like his team to deal with and he he got on his phone and he ordered one of those like city scooters, the ones that are on like the street corners and stuff, and that everyone was was riding around. And he ordered one of them uh, before like before everything was wrapped up, even I think. And he just rode it back to his hotel room, and I just oh <laughs> yeah. my god and so it would have been so funny like all these people just seeing magnus Ditlev just riding on, like like on one of those scooters through the town while everyone was still back celebrating the race just like head down so upset about his race uh, and so like we were sort of like as that story was being told we were just like you know uh, exaggerating and exaggerating and exaggerating and it became like quite a quite a funny little running joke
1: Dude, you know, what's you know, what's so funny about that, though, is um, I don't remember the exact name, but I think it it was like Kimi Reckon whatever the F1 driver. This is where triathlon. Yes, this is where triathlon could like if there was more cameras on course, he crashed in Monaco one time and he's like, screw this. I'm just gonna walk to my freaking yacht right now. And just walks along the course. The race is going on. Team's picking up his car and everything, and he's just sitting there on his yacht in his suit, like, what the F just happened? Like drinking a beer or something. Like that's Magnus right there.
0: Literally. Except instead of instead of a yacht, it was like probably a real shitty Milwaukee hotel.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right there. Uh, The other the other thing, I hit on this. We did a pre-show on Pro Tri News. And this is what a, a lot of the athlete talk was all week. And for me, from a fan perspective, and then hearing the female athletes too, they were just kind of like flabbergasted on the whole Chelsea Sodaro thing. And uh, essentially, what the PTO does for the run up for these races is they pick two contestants. Usually, for an American race, it'd be an American and American, but maybe they, Sam, turned it down probably, or they never even asked them. Who knows? But Chelsea and Christian Blumenthal so you watch like all the build-in series. They've shot all this commercial stuff and all that. We started getting like rumors that Chelsea wasn't going to start at Pro Try News. And we were like trying to like decide if we we're going to like post something about it or whatever. And then all of a sudden, we heard that she wasn't racing from like very factual people posted about it. And then the run-up kept going and PTO just kept posting. Chelsea just never posted anything. And it was really weird because all the athletes were like, wait is she not racing or is she racing? Because like whatever to like a news source, we want to hear it from like the athlete himself. So a lot of the female athletes were like, wait, is she going to come or not? And then I think they finally realized, I guess she's not coming. And it's kind of unfortunate from a fan perspective. You, uh, Chelsea kills it at this distance. And it, it was unfortunate when get to see her, but a lot of the females were like, this is weird. Usually someone announces that they're not racing or maybe the race announced it, but
0: yeah. yeah. So in, in the lead up to the race, Um, I'm really good friends with Dan Plews, who is Chelsea's coach, as you know. Um, And so pretty much like before Ibiza, um, I knew that Chelsea had a little bit of a knee injury. And I sort of have like a thing with with Dan, just like uh, as being one of my really good friends in the sport and, um, you know, someone who the relationship with, uh, like if he tells me something or if we're talking about something, it just stays between us, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's just like there's some things you post about and it's like, oh, it's just about an athlete. But when, when it's like sort of that friend thing, you would find that you would find this a lot as well. Like you get told a lot of things and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you can't, you, you like, people would love to know that. And you sort of feel like your responsibility is to tell it, but you can't. And so I've had that with Chelsea a couple of times this year, just cause out of respect for Dan. And, and I really love Chelsea too. Like she's come on my podcast. Um, she was actually supposed to do a podcast with me leading into the US Open. Um, and, and Dan was sort of just saying like, no, nah, like she's just dealing with some stuff and um, she obviously got sick is it I'm not even sure if it's come out now so many people were talking about it at the US Open and I'm not actually sure what's what's known by the public and what's not but um, yeah so Dan had told me like that Chelsea was probably not going to be able to race and this was a, like a, a little bit out from the race and and then like you did just keep see it getting promoted by the PTO I'm like do they even know and so <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how much to say here but I think that I knew before the PTO knew, that's that's a fact. Um, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people did. I think you knew before the PTO knew. And I think even leading up, like we were doing like meetings and stuff um, about the, like the broadcast and like commentary. And I think even at that point, the PTO weren't 100% sure. And so that is a really interesting one. I, I'm not sure, I might be not telling that story correctly um I, like maybe there was high ups at the pto who knew and it had been communicated but it hadn't like filtered all the way back down through um, and i think that that sort of speaks to what you were talking about that there was just so much confusion around it and so many athletes were talking about it. like you know when every pretty much every conversation i was involved in it got brought up actually it, it really was quite like uh-huh. a, a big a big story over there wasn't it just like well why was there so much promotion when she everyone knew for weeks that she wasn't going to going to race and it still just kept getting promoted um so you are right that that was a big one
1: yeah and, it, and it's unfortunate for the pto because they do on a skinny budget put. i mean they put thousands of dollars into creating documents and all that uh documentaries and and lead up footage and all that and you can't just you're not like someone like the ufc you can't just scrap it go grab archive footage of other athletes and rebuild something it's just not like that so it's just unfortunate all around i think just the biggest bummer of it all is i just wanted to see chelsea race these girls i mean she's extremely confident right now running hot but i mean wait but the best news about it all is she's posted that she's racing singapore so we get to see her do exactly that in singapore so i mean that is like win-win for uh for everyone
0: yeah i agree with that and i think the other tricky thing for chelsea is can you, can you sort of put yourself in her position, right, where she was the Ironman world champion? And what comes with that is a lot of opportunity, a lot of sponsorship, a lot of obligations. So she would have signed a lot of new contracts that she didn't have in 2022 that she now has in 2023. And then she's had a, she's had a really slow start to the year. Um, she, she didn't, she sort of had that injury before Ibiza. She had to, she was going really well at Roth and then, and then had a DNF. And then she, she couldn't start again at the the U S open. And they were sort of other three big races that she's, you know, either been, uh, she's either raced or been on the start list for. And so uh, for her, it sort of would be like, well, I've had, I've, I've got all these opportunities for sponsorship, like promotions, interviews, videos. And if she just comes out and says like, I can't race, then, you know, those opportunities um, leading into the race probably go away a little bit for the sponsors. So it's actually, a, like it would be a really tricky position and feeling pressure that she needs to perform for her sponsors and be valuable for her sponsors, but having like a really up and down year. So tricky position for her. Um, moving on, I got a I got a bit of a lighter story than that one. This, this one's actually... I love this story. Now, um, like I touched on, we were after the men's race, which was the Friday night and the women's race was the Saturday. Um, Josh Amberger was at the dinner and like uh, I've, you know, sort of talked to Josh uh, a fair bit over the years, like um, mainly like over the last couple of years we've just texted and stuff. Um, and like he was, um, in, he was a guest on the podcast for the very first week of the podcast, but I hadn't seen him since that. And he was at the dinner and he's just such a funny guy. Like he just told so many funny stories. Most of them I'm not going to repeat, but the, 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 like the sort of one uh, thing that I walked away laughing from, from the dinner with him, he left a little bit earlier than us and it was because Ash was racing the next day. And it was still, he was still out to dinner pretty late. So Ash Gentle, his partner, um, is obviously at that stage, she was the favourite or the second favourite for the female race. And, it probably got to like I don't know 10 or 10 30 p.m at night and we're just sitting there telling stories Josh had raced that day had a really good race he was um, definitely leading the beer drinking on the table like he was probably two or three beers ahead of everyone else at any given point uh, and there was some Germans with us as well so that's saying something and I sort of just said to Josh I'm like oh are you staying with Ash and he's like yeah and uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's getting pretty late. Like, she she'll be asleep, won't she? And you'll uh you'll be walking back into the room after having you know a fair few beers. And he's like oh no that's that's fine she didn't even come to the finish line like when i was racing she stayed at home and i was across the finish line and was like oh yeah i'll get to see ash like my my partner she's going to be so proud of me having this good race (laughs) she didn't show up to the finish line and so he's just like nah stuff her i'll walk in at midnight that's fine midnight and piss she like that's that's what she gets for not coming to the finish line and i was just in stitches the way he was telling it was like oh mate i fucking lost it
1: Oh dude, he is so funny. He was he was down by the um we were out on the bike course and him and I somehow ended up together and he's cheering on ah, and he calls her chicken. It's so funny. <laughs> and um I was like are you I was like, Oh that's all you're gonna cheer for it for. Are you gonna like uh like take your shirt off and swing it for her like all the girls do for the guys? And he's like Oh yeah, I'll do that and pull my pants down as well. And I'm like, you won't. And he's like, yeah, I will right now. And he and he sits right there. He takes his shirt off and then the here comes the girl's pack and he just pulls his pants all the way down to his ankles. He's like, come on, chicken. Come on. <laughs> and all every single girl in the group ash's group looked over at josh <laughs> and was laughing and ash is the only one that did not look and gave him like a death stare yep. just like looking forward like i'm going to completely ignore you yeah and we were in then after the race ash was laughing so hard she's like if you did that again the next lap i was going to spray it with my bottle <laughs> we were
0: laughing so hard <laughs> oh mate those two they just have such a good dynamic um they're both just such good people like they're just like seriously great people but they like complement each other real well as a couple um you know obviously this isn't probably our forte talking yeah. about relationships but like josh is so he's so weird and funny in a great way like he's just weird in the absolute best way he like he he'll just he has this way of telling stories that it just makes him so funny and he like he, uh, yeah. he can be a bit serious but then out of nowhere he's just super silly and like that and then but ash ash is like ash is a bit more serious and a bit more like um i'd say sensible and so like josh is doing like the weird stuff like that funny as and ash is just like you could just in her head she would just be rolling her eyes just being like oh god here we go again
1: so funny so funny another funny thing about all the europeans is they the, well a lot of the ones that don't spend a lot of time in america they can't find food in America that they really like. And same for the American athletes. They all go to Europe and complain that they can't find food. So the funniest thing is that every freaking European and their dog, when they come to America, they go to Chipotle. It's like, it's like heaven sent for them. They just love, They just want to get Chipotle the entire time. And what's so comical is we're going to um, – at what point, uh, Pat uh, – Pat was going to film Magnus or go to be with Magnus or go on a bike, pre-bike ride or something – Pat hits the, the button on the back of a uh, Magnus's Escalade or whatever car they were in with his coach and also um, whoever Magnus was, was with. And like Chipotle cups just cause kind of sort like the wind's blowing and starts flying out the back of it. All these rappers <laughs> and Magnus like, Oh my bad. That's like, mate, have you eaten anything else it's like and he's like, No, Chipotle all week.
0: <laughs> okay, I got a good story here as well. So Um, (laughs) same thing really, but with Fred Funk. Um, so I got into, I got into the, the, um, into Milwaukee so late and I was like, I didn't know anything. And I'm like, um, I was in like a foreign country in America late at night and I was a bit scared by myself. And I was starving. I hadn't eaten in like 20 hours. I didn't eat anything on the plane um, because – and we could probably talk about this, but American food is weird, mate. Like the, the meals they serve on those American planes, it's just like I've never seen those meals before. I'm like, I don't want any part of that. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> I'd, I'd been talking to Fred Funk uh, on my way over. And he'd had Chipotle like a ridiculous amount of times, like four or five times. And he'd been there for like a day. So I think he was eating it like literally every single meal. And so I got in there and because of that, I was thinking about like, um, I was like, what can I go and eat? And the only thing I knew that was there was was Chipotle because Fred Funk had just been <laughs> talking about it so much, the same as Magnus. Like I think Fred had been there for a day and it, it literally it would, uh, he had eaten it every meal. Um And and yeah, so I got, I like, I did this big walk through town to Chipotle and uh, I got it and I ate it. It's not even that good. Like I walked like two and a half k across town at like it would have to have been like eleven p.m. at night because I'm thinking like Fred Fred has been smashing this. I knew Magnus had been smashing it as well. I'd seen I'd heard a couple of the other Europeans like they're obsessed with it. Like and like I hate it. And I, it took me probably like thirty minutes to walk across town at eleven p.m. at night. Pretty scary to America, by the way. Scary city at nighttime. Not not the safest feeling place on the planet I've been. <laughs> and,
1: no, no, and I was eating no, no. and I was just
0: like, Fred, this is. Not even that good.
1: <laughs> I love Chipotle. I'll, 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 I'll down a Chipotle burrito only day of the week.
0: Hey, I, uh, I've, been, I've been saving a story to ask you on this podcast. Um, I, I nearly asked you, but then I'm like, no, I'd already had the thought to do the podcast with you. I hadn't asked you to do the podcast yet though. Um, so I'm glad I saved it. I heard a little, and it's not, we're, we're moving away from the fun story now. I heard a little story, a little birdie told me that there might've been some tension at the race with, uh, with your man, Lionel Sanders. I heard there was some big names who ride Canyon bikes at the race. And I heard that maybe, maybe the, the Canyon mechanic who had come into town, that he had sort of prioritized some other people and, and maybe, maybe forgot that Lionel was at the race and, and, uh and didn't actually swing by to help Lionel with his bike and, and that, that was supposed to happen, and, and Lionel forgo- got forgotten about.
1: Is that true? Oh, wow, this sport's way too small. <laughs> Stuff spreads quick. <laughs> um, yes, yes and no. Lionel's, you know Lionel, he kind of beats the beat of his own drum, like he wanted to ride uh, going into St. George. He was the only Canyon athlete on the older UCI bike because he thought it was lighter. Well, not thought of mean It was lighter. And uh, I think there was a lot of chatter, like a GTN video on how it was a bad decision and all that. I think Lionel ended up having the fastest bike split at the St. George Ironman world championship ended up uh, leading him to second place. So he was stoked about that, but, but fastest bike split on the day for a Canaan athlete. So he was uh, excited about that, but You know, I, I don't think, I think it was just a miscommunication. Sometimes, uh, Lionel doesn't need his bike worked on all the other athletes, 100% want their bike worked on. And, uh, Lionel didn't in past races, he hasn't got it worked on. And this time he didn't really need it worked on, but it, it was kind of just like a miscommunication on both ends. But, uh, yeah, didn't, uh. Didn't, didn't get the bike worked on but they're they're set up for the next race they'll uh they'll be out and they'll, they'll they will definitely work on Lionel's bike at the next race for sure
0: was there any <sighs> was there any sort of stern words words exchange was was Lionel like hey like I know yarn yarn's in town and there's some big dogs in town but don't forget about me
1: no I don't think it's sad I think that what people have necessarily seen from and this is just chatting with all the canyon athletes when Papa Yan goes to a race, <laughs> like the triathlon industry goes to the race. Oh, like, yeah. like when Jan races, Canyon is sending every mechanic there, like everyone's there. Greg Welch is there to give him some more Oakleys, like everyone <laughs> is there when Papa Jan races. Yeah. So it was quite funny because I was talking to the Canyon mechanic. I'm like. Oh well, you guys go to seventy point three worlds. And He's like, yeah, no. And I was like, <laughs> are you guys going to go to Kona? And he's like, I'm not. But we're sending another Canyon mechanic to Kona. But it's so funny because Canyon, well, not Canyon. Sorry, when Papa Yonre, if Papa Yon was doing seventy point three worlds, Canyon's oh. going to be there oh, to yeah. work on Yon's bike oh, and yeah. all all the Canyon athletes. That's the perk of a lot of his bike. I mean, but it's not just Yon and Canyon, like. Taylor Nib, I mean, Trek is a phenomenal company as well. They're there to, Mark Andrews at Trek is there to work on all their bikes and all that. So if Jan's somewhere, I can assure you Jens, the mechanic, is there to uh, build his bike.
0: The Feed is your one-stop shop for all of your triathlon racing and training nutrition needs. If there's a nutritional product worth its salt that you use in training or racing, it will be on The Feed. So instead of having to go to multiple online websites or, or shops or having to run around town looking for them, just visit thefeed.com and grab it all from the one place. I want to touch on something. You, so you just mentioned Taylor Nib there. Now, something that happens at these events when you're sort of – when you're around the pros and when you're around the circles of the pros and in the inner, inner sanctums is you start – you sort of start hearing a story. And so someone will say something and then you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. And then you'll hear it from another person, but it might have another little, little layer added to it. And then you'll hear it from another person. And it's sort of stories, they build steam over the week. Have you noticed that? Like, so it might be on the, oh yeah. say it's like the races on the Friday and Saturday. So you'll get in there on the Wednesday and you'll hear a little story. And then you'll hear it on the Thursday morning and it's the same story, but just a little bit's been added. And then the Thursday night, same thing. And that happens all week. And there was one with Taylor Nibs. So I was at the PTO broadcast meeting on the Thursday and someone had just been to do an interview with her from the PTO um, and they were sort of like saying like, oh, yeah, um, off camera, Taylor sort of uh, – like, on, uh, she had like um, tape on her, on, her, on her leg and if everyone's watched the race would have seen it, she had like that um, physio tape on her leg. And they were like, oh, thinking what, what was that about? And they overheard her say that she was flying a physio into town. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I hadn't said anything. And then I was with uh, some athletes and they brought it up. They're like, oh, I heard Taylor's like flying a physio into town. Like, is she injured? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I said, yeah, I, I actually heard that from, I heard that she, she might have um, mentioned that. And like this story built legs over the week that Taylor Nib was actually like injured going into the race and like might struggle on the run and that kind of thing. And that she has a, has a like her own private physio that she's flown in just for it. So she must actually be really injured. And then, so by the time the race started, like I was convinced Taylor must be injured because I just heard this story like probably, I don't know, 10 times at this point. And then, but, but I'm like, okay, I don't know that as fact. So Maybe bring it up, but, like, I still expect Taylor to have a have a good race. And then watching her run, like, she was just amazing. Like, she looked, looked so bloody good. Maybe, like, maybe the best middle distance athlete um, on the planet right now, including the men, like, pound for pound. And then I was just find, found myself thinking back and being, like, you hear all these stories all week. Like, Taylor's injured. She's flying someone in. And then she has a race like that. So it's, like, some stories you hear them and they're true, and then others you realize, oh the stories just build legs over race week, don't they
1: yeah, totally 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 yeah uh the actually the the physio she flew in was laurent, which is he is like super super well known physio like he's he was i cool, mean flora Duffy's Hoff, man yeah the Hoff would yeah, the Hoff would fly him in to uh one of the athletes, the Hoff or someone else would fly him all the way over to Kona. Florida Duffy uses him. I mean, tons of these athletes. And this guy's like gold. If you're an athlete and you've dealt with injuries forever and you're in that Southern Cal area, I think he's down like Santa Monica or something. I mean, this guy like works magic. But I, di- I didn't hear any of this until I'm at the finish line. And I'm following Taylor looking through my lens. And then I like looking through and I'm focused, focused, focused. And she's giving someone a hug and I focus on the face. I'm like, that's Laurence. What? Well, I wonder why. he. I was like, he must have just came to watch the race. And I went over to chat with him. He's like, oh, yeah, I came over here to work on Taylor. And I was like, oh, well, then she must be injured. Yeah. But I mean, how can you be injured and start putting time into freaking gentle?
0: I know. So it's crazy because I knew that he did come in as well. Um, And so that made me like convinced, oh, this actually must be serious. And so it's funny how the story can be true. But it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like doom and gloom. Like maybe the reality is that Taylor has a tiny little niggle that she'd been dealing with, but it wasn't bad. And she's just making that much money because there's so much more money in the sport now. Like she wins a hundred grand on the weekend. Maybe she goes, hey, this is a good investment for, you know, a thousand bucks, a couple of thousand bucks, whatever That's however much it Mm -hmm. costs to have someone in town like that, you know for the chance to win a hundred thousand, maybe that's like a one percenter that's just worth it for me. And it doesn't actually mean that like her race is fucked. It just means that like, she's just the sport's actually professional now. Because if there was a physio in town for a cycling, like every Tour de France cycling team would have three physios there with them. Do you know what I mean? It's like just normal, but mm-hmm. it was such a big deal for a triathlete, maybe because we're a professional sport, but we're not like top tier professional sport like that. And maybe Taylor Nibs just sort of, stepping it up and and being a professional which is actually a great thing
1: yeah yeah what 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 makes me think about that is when you go into these races you have your picks in your head and this is the biggest thing in Kona is you're around all these athletes and all that you see them you see and then you start to make your picks more and more and then like it's like being around Magnus Magnus was on my podium going into the race and then I chatted with his coach and chatting with Magnus and I wouldn't gonna well you wouldn't say this publicly but Magnus is like uh, no, I went to the pits after Roth. I mean, that was everything I had. And all my focus now is on Nice. And I was talking to his coach and his coach was like, ah, this is a this race is. It's good. It's good to come out here and test fitness and all that. But, um, our eyes are on Nice. And I was like, do you think Magnus, and even in the, in the racing videos, I was like, do you think Magnus can win Nice? And he says, oh, I don't think that's a question. So when you hear something like that and you hear he went to the pits and then you hear his coach to say that this isn't the focus. I automatically took Magnus. I'm not saying like I know, but I'm just saying like that you hear that. I mean, a lot of these athletes are peaking for this. And someone like Magnus is Magnus is like, I want to win Nice. And I think that I have an opportunity to win there. So I'm not going to try to peak for three races going into Nice, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I heard the exact same thing. And behind the scenes, we were sort of talking like myself and Rini, um we're talking and we were we were both like pretty convinced magnus wasn't going to have a good day because we were hearing the exact same thing you just heard that you know he would he was actually really cooked after roth um had a bit of downtime like a bit, bit of time not training after roth just getting like getting back into it and he really wasn't in in his best shape we heard that same thing um so that is funny you do your picks really do you start to like get all these takes from so many different people there on, on the deck that it does actually make it, um, you know, you might be thinking like, oh, Taylor Nib's definitely going to win. And then you're like, oh, wait, now she's injured. No, now Ash Gentle's definitely going to win. or um, Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it is funny. Hey, uh, we, we touched on it uh, and you talking about Papa Yarn made me want to come back to it. We got to talk about the Mark Dubrick thing from your point of view because it was because of you that everyone knew that story. And that was probably like, the story everyone was talking about uh, on the deck.
1: Oh, dude, it was so funny. So if you haven't, to give a context, if you haven't seen it, we in the Race Week series we did on Lionel's channel, it's the final episode. It's the swim familiarization, which is so funny. It's the same thing as this. It's I'm literally just running up and down the swim familiarization deck with my camera recording all these athletes because it's like there's so much going on, and it's hilarious from... From Josh Amberger talking about the metal he listens to to Christian practicing five hundred starts and trying to bug Lionel and all that. But Jan's about to practice a start and he goes up and he's about to dive in and Mark Dubrick's kind of looks over Yan. He's like, Well, you Dubrick looks at Jan, he's like, Uh, are you about to do another start? And Jan's like, Yeah. And he's like, Can I join you? And Jan looks at him and says, join me you you want to join me and it was like you would have had to have been there to feel the energy it was one of the most awkward things. either yawn was playing his mind games or that's just typical yawn you, you never know with him he's so good with his words he's incredible when he needs to like play mind games with you to beat you he can do it and so he looks at him like join me like you join me, or he genuinely had no idea who Mark was, and was like, "Who's this age grouper?" I'm trying to yeah. like get ready for a race tomorrow. Who's this age group athlete that thinks he's gonna swim with me? How funny so. was it
0: that like everyone sort of was talking about him like did they did he do you think he actually knew who he was or not? And by the end of the week, everyone was just like a hundred percent convinced nah Jan had no idea who he is. Jan still has no, no idea. No idea who he is. And the big joke running throughout it that you'd always hear was just like, Does, does Jan know who Mark Dubrick is yet? Nah. <laughs> nah Nah,
1: nah. <laughs> The funny thing was someone said something to me beyond well, okay so they dive into the water and um I look over Aaron Royal and Aaron Royal was like wow that was awkward and then we look and Lionel sitting right there in Toronto Lionel Lionel's like okay <laughs> it was we're all just there there's about five of so us we were laughing so hard and then Mark took it out pretty hard and then after the next morning they're checking in for uh race range. they're putting like their race ranger things on and I'm in the host hotel and I see Mark and I'm like um mark how, how was that mark's like dude i laid in bed last night and that was like one of the awkwardest things in my life because like i grew up like idolizing this guy is like he's like my pinnacle and, and he's like and i was just like wanting to do a swim with him and he goes and it was so awkward i've never felt like that uncomfortable ever yeah and i was like i kind of felt bad for mark you know like first off like uh Kind of an employee for Magic Five, but I don't know. It's not like literally, it's not really Jan's job to like look and memorize faces in the star list. He's a bit older, uh, later generation. I mean, Mark, I mean, Jan was racing in like the early 2000s, like freaking Mark Dubrick's probably sucking on a bottle then. So, but poor Mark, man. I mean, that's like, that <laughs> had to have been so awkward. But it, it, was, it was a good moment. It was a highlight for sure.
0: You know that like meme or oh. whatever it is where there's like that guy looking out the window and like the rain is dripping down the window. And it's like that. I think it's, look, this is terrible. I don't, I'm not a music guy really. But there's like that, I don't know. It's like Lionel Richie, someone like that kind of song. And it's like, hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> 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 I just was picturing that Mark, yes. Mark went back to the, the, the hotel in Milwaukee that night and he was that guy like looking out the window, rainy window, and that song was playing in his head. <laughs> he was like, man, um, terrible time, terrible time. Hey, tell me, funny. tell me about another story I've been meaning to ask you the details on. Tell me about the Christian trisuit story.
1: Oh, dude, that was so funny. So we... We go to this pool. We we show up to this pool. It's like a 50-meter pool. And, like, it's, like, straight chill. Like, the, it, first off, hats off to Milwaukee. There was, like, a lot of times you go to these race venues, there's no pools. So they had, like, 10 pools you could swim at. And also, cool, it's really cool. The PTO organizes a pool for these athletes and all But we went to this 50-meter pool. I don't know what it is Celsius, but it was, like, 85 degrees. So maybe, I don't know, let's say 30 degrees. Maybe that's the right. It was hot. But Christian, uh, he had a new Surpass uh, suit. And I was like, oh, I'm getting photos. And he said, oh, do you want me to get photos of me in this? And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome. He goes, well, I don't race it here. I race it in 70.3 Worlds for the first time. I'm like, all right. So he swims in the pool with it on for a little bit. And then he gets out and he takes it off and he puts it over on this chair to dry. And he gets back into in the Speedo. And we go on and we get out of the pool. And Christian's like talking to these older ladies. He's like flirting with them. And he's like, He's like, do you know what triathlon is? And they are like, no, no, no. And he's like, you come watch me race. I win this weekend. Come, come down to the, the come to the lake, then watch me race. And we're just all joking around having fun. And then we leave there and then Christian uh, dropped Christian off his hotel. And he's like, do you, is my suit in your car? And I like looked in the van and I was like, no. And he goes, oh, I think I left it, but it's okay. I can get it in the next couple days. And I'm like, no, Christian, you don't leave a brand new $500 suit. So <laughs> I text Paula Finley and I'm like, hey, did you guys find uh Can you look around at the pool? Because I know they were going up to the pool. And then she said they looked all around, they couldn't find it. And then uh, I was like, oh no, it's already been stolen. Or maybe those older ladies got it and are hanging on to it. So it's hilarious. And then about two hours later, Paula sends me a photo and she's like, is this it? And she has to like pulled up over. And I'm like, dude. It's so funny. These athletes, like, they're still humans, you know? Like, they still forget things. It's not like everyone's perfect, or we don't have a Felix. You know, Felix is Jan's manager that does everything for us. So, uh, Christian just leaving his uh, brand new, surpassed race kit. What are those, 700 euros?
0: Oh, at just least.
1: Le- leaves it right on the pool deck.
0: Yeah. And I think no one is going to steal it because, like, can anyone else wear a completely see-through tri-suit and get away with it? I reckon he's the only one. Maybe Yarn could do it if he wanted to, but he's like, Christian just does not care. He just keeps wearing see-through suits and he just doesn't not care. Not. And everyone else would be like, mm, exactly. no, nah, I don't think so. Um, hey, yeah. I, I got a uh, a little interesting one I just thought of then. And because I was thinking about the, I was actually just, while you were telling the story, I was thinking about a funny story, Josh Amberger said, but. I'm going to not tell it. I <laughs> know I said there'd be no secrets, but not going <laughs> to tell that one. <laughs> and and <laughs> I was thinking, so at this like little um, dinner-y type drinksy thing that so the PTO put on like the drinks for the athletes after the women's race on the Saturday night. Um, and um, I was talking to Ashley Gentle um, after it, and I just thought this was interesting, but because you know how like you're watching a race and you sort of – you think of people like you're not really aware of what anyone's thinking who's in the race like what's going on in their head how they're feeling you can sort of guess and and that kind of thing and um there's two stories about this or maybe there's like three but there's two main ones i want to tell so the first one is about ash ash was telling me like i went well, like i sat down it was the first conversation i had when i walked into this place me and fred walked in and ash was sitting right in front of us and we sat down with her and and she was just like, oh, I am so fucked. Like I am completely fucked. And we're like, oh yeah, like did tell us about it type thing. And she's like, we just rode so hard, like trying to keep up with Taylor. And she's like, I got on and I'm like, oh, you you looked pretty good when you started the run though. You put like 16 or 18 seconds into Taylor in like less than the like, like the first k of the run. And she goes, seriously, I just felt like death. Like I was I was completely fucked. Um. And she's like, I just had to work so hard on that bike. It was just like 80K working hard the whole time, like absolutely on my limit that the whole run, I was just in absolute survival, like struggling, hurting, felt crap the whole time. And I just thought that's really interesting because I was watching it and she looked like the Terminator starting the run, and she looked so good. She probably looked the best of any runner out on course. I would have said, and I would have said that she looked good like the whole run. Now, sure, she she stopped putting some time into Taylor late in the in the eighteen k run, but I thought she looked so good still. And I just thought Taylor looked great as well. But yeah, if you had have asked me anyone who like started that run, like feeling good and 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 was like positive, like confident they were going to have a good run, I would have said that she looked it but it's just funny to then hear her after the race, just the reality of what those races are and, and like just how cooked she was. Um, and you would just never think that watching it. And the other one, I was talking to Rebecca Clark, who's a New Zealand athlete. Um, and she was sort of like towards the front of the swim. And um, and she started the bike at the front um, behind Lauren Brandon. And she said that Taylor Nib came past her and she looked down at her power meter, Rebecca Clark, and she was holding... And these girls, they're light, right? So they don't hold huge power mm. in terms of numbers, but it's really quite high watts per kilo, especially for for the females. Like, they're holding good numbers, these girls. And she looked down at her power meter, and she'd been holding over 310 watts for like five minutes, which is huge. Like, that is insane numbers for a female, and especially for a female triathlete. Like, it's just... That's so high. And Taylor was riding away from her, and she just like was just like, "No way!" And she like just sat up, and she's like, "I cannot do this." And so, sort of just two behind-the-scenes stories of how crazy what Taylor Nib did on the bike that day was, even though it might not have looked like it because she didn't get the big gap she usually did, but it absolutely destroyed the race behind her, and all these girls had such hard days because of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so true. It's it's so. It's so that's like ch- chatting with Lionel after the race. He, he was like, he said that he was sitting there and he was getting time splits himself because he's like hitting lap because it's a loop course. And he's like, I am not reeling any of these guys in, like not a single guy in the field after like a god awful swim. But like, well, I think what we're seeing is, and I don't want this to be like a race debrief and stuff, but I don't know if the athletes have learned to pace this distance yet and so you saw a lot of the guys in the field that they they think it's of course it's shorter than a 70.3 and it's longer than olympic but they over pace it and push too much power and then just they hit the run like like someone like aaron royal or ben canute freddie funk like kind of all of them they're just like they're just shot their legs are shocked i mean even lionels he's like he's the guy who over pushed the bike he, he just don't so it's it's interesting yeah, yeah, this this distance will be uh, – we'll chat about it later on, but, but the, I would say the new competitive distance.
0: Freddie Funk said the same thing. I think you were there for this. If you weren't there, it was – you know that bar or whatever it was, that bar where we had some beers the night after the men's race that you came to? Um, and yeah. I'm not sure if you were there for this yet, um, but Fred was talking about how he was holding like 400 watts and Magnus came around him. So Fred was sort of like um, 40 – 45, 50 seconds back from the lead, which was um, like Matthias at the time and uh, and Christian. And uh, Magnus came around Fred and Magnus was like, Fred, you ready? We're going. We're attacking. Let's catch the front. And Fred's like, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. And Fred looked down at his power meter and saw 400, and he's like, I was riding 400 watts. And Magnus rode past me and was like, Freddie, you ready? We're going. And Fred's like, that's a light to say to him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And... <laughs> just picturing Fred like saying that and then looking down and being like, I'm already holding 400 watts and Magnus is going, we're going to attack from this. And like Magnus went and Fred never went with him. Like couldn't, couldn't go with him. <laughs> um, yeah. And then like I, what touch on what you said. Ash Gentle said that same thing actually. She said, this racing is like just crazy because it is exactly the same intensity as an Olympic distance. We swim and we ride uh, the same intensity that you do for an Olympic distance race. But it just keeps going. It just goes for three and a half hours, not two hours. But it is the exact Mm -hmm. same intensity. So that's why we're seeing such good racing.
1: Speaking, speaking of pacing and racing, this is another little funny story. I was chatting with Lionel after the race, um, and he said, "So if you listen to the pre-race show on the MMA, or not, I always say MMA, the triathlon hour on your show with Fred Funk and them and Aaron Royal and all them going into the race." I listen to it every week. So it, yeah, a lot of these athletes I don't know personally, and you get you get a lot of insight into their training and all that. But there was a clip on there that uh, Freddie Funk said to Aaron is that, and Aaron and Freddie both were like, Lionel and Sam won't feature in this race because the swim's going to be too fast. They can't, they don't have the bike power to get to the front, blah, blah, blah. So I screen recorded that, sent it to Lionel. Never, Lionel never said anything about it. Like he doesn't really care too much. But then if you saw Lionel got off the bike, he's running with this group of like five of McNamee, Appleton, all that. And uh, I think Aaron was already spit out the back, but they start reeling in Freddie. So Lionel tells the whole group, hey, guys, we have to catch Freddie." <laughs> he said I wouldn't feature in this race. <laughs> even though they're all battling for like 12th place <laughs> yeah. and, and he said everyone in the group started laughing and they're all they, he's, like, he's like I promise you the pace picked up a little bit and we all moved through Freddy <laughs> Lionel pumps one of the guys <laughs> oh my god I literally I told Freddy this story later on he's like well I wouldn't say that 11th place is featuring <laughs> but I think you know what I mean yeah
0: that's what i actually i think i'm i don't know whether you were telling that story at that same little de- like drink session we were having because i just remember yeah when, yeah yeah it was. yeah yeah and i just remember th- freddie being like well, i don't think th- th- finishing 13th is exactly featuring yeah, yeah
1: exactly although to give credit sam, sam did get up there he got top five so hats off to sam sam was, was two days after having a freaking baby dude good God. lord
0: seriously that was he didn't
1: have a baby sorry laura but no yeah.
0: no but Crazy. that was an amazing story hey um i got a couple of stories again i've I've been holding off to ask you. Tell me your Taylor Nib story,
1: oh dude, so Taylor is so funny because everyone watches her um like pre race videos and they're like, What's she freaking smoking or like where's t- like where's two masks okay it's twenty twenty three like all this stuff, but dude, if you get around Taylor, he's the smartest, most articulate girl I have ever met female i've ever met in my life like you're talking pro pre-race meetings she's sitting front row with a notepad i mean dude she she went to cornell her entire family went to cornell which is a super prestigious ivy league school val victorian of her high school dude this girl is a freaking walking brain like dude she is so smart and it's funny because when you ask her stuff she never shares any information with you so I pick her up at the airport and I'm like, oh, you, I'm like, start recording. I'm like, can I start recording? Uh, you're uh, I usually always ask the athletes. I'm like, you're not wearing anything you don't want anyone to see. Like, just out of respect. Like, let's say like if Taylor was sponsored by A6 and she's wearing a Lululemon shirt, like she'd get in trouble. So I couldn't use any of the footage anyways, but that's not the case. And I start recording. I'm like, oh, you got a big couple of weeks ahead of you. And she's like, ah, we'll see. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Are you excited to race this weekend? <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. I'm like, let's say <laughs> something other than we'll see, but all right.
0: Everyone was talking about this. Dude,
1: and so I, I, when she won, I posted Taylor, we'll see, Nib. Yeah. But we get to our hotel room and uh, Trek, uh, Mark Andrews at Trek, shows up. He gives her a brand new bike. Dude, Trek's a freaking incredible. I love Trek. They're like so on it. Like it's fit to her perfect dimensions and everything. Like and it rocks up with a brand new bike and all this stuff. So that's pretty cool. But Taylor started to open up and I'm like, oh my gosh, can I like, it's awkward. Like, do I get my camera out and like start rolling because, or she telling me something out of like privacy. But it was interesting because what Taylor said to me is she said, I think a lot of these long course athletes are going to struggle tomorrow because none of them know how to fuel properly. And I was like, go on. Like, what do you mean? Like, like during the race. And she says, no, a lot of these athletes aren't used to afternoon races. They're used to morning races. And I've done enough races and I think that with the heat here and the combination of feeling properly throughout the day, a lot of these athletes are going to be so nervous and scared um, to fuel because they're not going to want to get to the start line with a full stomach because then they think they'll throw up or do something like that. But she said, you will see a lot of these athletes falter on the day and not have near amount of energy. It's because used to they're fueled and they go to bed, they get up in the morning, eat a light breakfast and race. But if you show up to this start line tomorrow with this kind of heat and humidity and the pressure and all this stuff, and you try to show up with an empty stomach because you don't want to be sick, your race is already over. And I'm like sitting right there thinking my, 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 my brain's like blown. Maybe this to any coach listens to this are like, well, duh, but it's pretty interesting knowledge that I would have never thought about. And I feel like that I've been around the scene a little bit, but I'm like, dude, this girl is so articulate. And this is the first time I've ever heard like, like taylor speak like what's going on in her mind and she then she just starts going on and on about bike power and this and all that and i'm like dude this girl iq and racing is on another level like dude she is insane
0: yeah i agree with this because there there was a bit of a not a running joke it wasn't like laughing at taylor it was sort of laughing with taylor i would have described it as but everyone was sort of like talking about the we'll see thing how she sort of like she just doesn't like to give much away, does she? She sort of keeps everything pretty close not to her chest all. and she says we'll see all the time, like she how, like how's that going to go and she goes, "Oh, we'll see." And so like a lot of people are laughing about that, but it's not in a meme way. It's sort of like in a I'd say people are fascinated by Taylor, like she's so good, like, but mm-hmm. she doesn't give much away. That that's the vibe I get from it. Um and it was funny, wasn't it, Talbot, how everyone after the races was talking about that fueling thing. All the athletes were like, oh, I struggled with that. I'm like my stomach felt crap on the run or, you know, I just didn't know how to eat. Like I would have had that conversation at least 15 times with 15 different athletes after both races. Um, so, yeah, that is that is actually fascinating. Um, I want to change tack a little bit. Uh, and this is a question, I like I got this sort of, told to me by someone else. Uh, and again, I've been saving it for you. So I'm really glad we've done this podcast. Do you have beef? <laughs> oh with God, the- I'm nervous. <laughs> Do you have beef with the PTO?
1: No, not at all. No beef with the PTO. There was like a miscommunication on someone's end that was a little frustrating, but also true. So basically what happened was if anyone paid attention to the PTO, they had massive budget cuts this year. If you saw that, you saw that in the prize purse. You saw that in the amount of athletes racing. You saw that in the broadcast and production. They cut their books nearly in half this year. So I ring up Nick at the beginning. Uh, Sorry, I ring up one of the PTO staff members, like the head of content. This guy is freaking incredible. Actually, like former UFC built the almost, I don't want, he was built, started the grounds footwork for the media empire that UFC has now. And then he came over to give our support. So that's why you see the next level media content for uh, PTO. And I chatted with him early on in the year and I was like, Hey, he's like, look, man, we don't have the budget to send you to Singapore. Or this is when they were announcing all the races or Ibiza, but you're kind of our boots on the ground in America. We'd love to have you at the race. blah. blah, blah. we'll chat later on closer to the race. So I'm just kind of like automatically thinking in my head, I'm going to the race. And then I get a call. Well, like we get about two weeks out from the race. And I'm kind of like, this is kind of weird. I like heard from them, so I'll like reach out. So I reach out. And then I get on the call and they're all like, uh, mate, we've decided to go another way. And it was kind of like a an, another we decided to go with another option. They went with Kenny Withrow, which is a great friend of mine. Great guy. And I was kind of just, yeah, I love Kenny. And I was kind of like taken aback. I was like, Whoa, like you said that you were going to like use me and i and then he and then so we get off the call and i'm a bit offended i'm like man like i've already booked my flights my tickets like everything for this like this like sucks like i went from wanting to do like hey conto do you guys work with y'all thinking i'm going to this race and then y'all just all of a sudden like no we don't need you anymore like sit down stay back not not they didn't say stay back or sit down And so I was kind of bummed. So then I kind of send Nick like a personal message. I'm like, yo, man, like this is like, I don't mean to like let feelings get in the way of business. And he's like, Nick's like, oh, mate, to my understanding, it's like with the budget cuts, like we couldn't afford you. So it might have been like maybe me. I should have probably reached out to Nick and been like, hey, man, look, what can you guys offer financially for me to come out there? And he was like, so we just went a different route this time. Uh, and and then also, too, they're training up a guy, a European photographer, videographer, this incredible guy from National Geographic channel that is coming over. And so they, he needed to get trained up as well. So it was unfortunate, but also fortunate as well, because if you're smart, and I'm not saying that they did this, but it's kind of like it reminds me of the story when Pat Lemieux, Lionel's manager, is like, oh, Talbot, record a video of Lionel. And just like just this personal selfie video of Lionel talking about how much he loves his ASICs. He asked Lionel to do this a couple of times. He goes, I'm going to send it to the ASICs marketing manager, and then we're going to get a deal with ASICs. And so I, Lionel, one time Lionel's putting on his ASICs shoes, and I like walked to Lionel, and I'm like, hey, so do you like those ASICs? And he's like, is this that effing video for Pat? You know what? Let me tell you something. I don't give an F what ASICs thinks you know what? They'd be smart to not sponsor me. You know why? Because whether they sponsor me or not, I'm going to run in their GD shoes because it's the best effing shoes on the F and market. So you know what? F you, ASICs, don't sponsor me. And he was just being straight, genuine, authentic. He's like, they're the best shoes on the market. So, and, and the only reason I tell you that story is it's like the PTO, they probably know no matter what, Talbot's in America, he's going to show up to this race no matter what. And he's gonna advertise and market the hell out of it, whether we pay him or not. So I'm not anyway saying they did that, but I was like, man, this sucks. I'm not getting paid by PTO. Oh well, I live for this stuff, so I'm gonna go make my race week series anyway. So but we chatted, uh, and we'll chat about it later on in this show or coming up is like the PTO has big plans for next year. So I don't think it was in any way snubbing me, but it did kind of freaking hurt. I did have to fund my whole way there, so that kind of sucked, but I think that uh it was totally worth it. I mean, great week. YouTube did great, Uh, and dude, that's some hell, some freaking incredible racing. So that's kind of where the stories got mixed up, but it did suck. I kind of felt like I got the cold shoulder, but it's all good.
0: If you've got big races coming up or plans to do a triathlon in the future and need to sort out having a fast, comfortable, and amazing-looking triathlon suit, then WinRepublic is where you need to look. Head to WinRepublic's website at winrepublic.com and check out all of their amazing, world-leading triathlon suits. They were designed by professional triathletes Luke and Beth McKenzie, who care about four things. They care about speed, comfort, practicality, and looking bloody good. Use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off anything you get from their website, because they've also got some equally amazing cycling and running kit to have a look at while you're there. I got a couple of, like, funny or, like, uh, I've got a couple of interesting PTO stories actually to, to go off the back of that. Uh, and the PTO like production and broadcast and team is not anything like I thought it was going to be. So I sort of went in there not knowing anyone or anything about it. Like I'd had conversations with Sam Renouf um, and and that was about it. Like I, I'd sort of briefly like talked to on the phone a couple of people on the team. But I feel like people need to know a bit more about the PTO because it's insane. And I think what we do in triathlon, I'm not, I'm not sure if you feel this, Talbot, but I think no matter what happens, triathlon fans, we tend to focus on the negative. I find myself getting a bit stuck in it sometimes and I'm trying to get out of the habit of it because, uh, and the PTO may be the thing that are making me realize it. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that I commentated their race or, or anything like that. Um, it's It's like, it's just from seeing what they're doing and actually thinking about it they're the best thing that's ever happened to this sport. And if what they want to do comes off, like it's going to change the sport. It really is. And I'm saying that as a completely unbiased opinion. Like you, when you, so they have the person who runs their broadcast, right? He's this guy called Martin Turner. And I met him for the first time. During the PTO US Open week, so who Martin Turner is, right? I, I'm not sure if you even know this about him, Talbot, but he was mm-hmm. he was the head of um, Sky Sports form, like Formula One broadcast. He's actually the like I'm not sure how many people here listen, watch F1 or know anything about it, but Sky Sports like pretty much the biggest broadcaster of F1 in the world, and they have their own dedicated formula one channel called sky f1 and it's where it's where i watch f1 when i watch it it's where a lot of like the stuff from the drive to survive comes from and he's the guy who created that he literally created that so sky didn't have that channel he came up with that idea he created it um and it's like the biggest if if it's not the biggest it's one of the biggest f1 um broadcasters on the on the planet and he did that for like 20 years so he was literally responsible until the PTO came and grabbed him for doing all of the, the Formula 1 coverage in the world, basically. And he also, like, um, so Sky Sports in the in the UK, they'd never won a BAFTA, which I didn't know what this was, but it's like the British Film and Television Awards, it's their big awards, and he won them their f- first ever sports broadcast, like, award um, for his coverage of what he was doing at the, at the rugby at the time. And so like, he's like this, like just really famous head of broadcast over in the UK. He changed rugby broadcast forever. He changed F1 broadcast forever. And those two sports are massive. And the PTO have come and stolen him basically and grabbed him and and he's brought his whole team in. So he's like running the show and he's this old guy, lovely guy, brilliant guy. Like you talk to him and you're like, oh, this guy's just smarter than me you did, like, he's just, you're talking to him and you go, he's, yeah, he's just smarter than me. Like I'm talking to someone who I'm not as smart as I've got to sit back and listen. And you just find him telling you all these stories and talking about his plans. And you're just like, Oh, this, this is going to work. And like, they're working with restraints, like budget and stuff this year. And, like, figuring out what's best to do with the sport. But, you like, their production is massive. Like, you go – they have, like, these production trucks and they have so many employees and they work so hard. It's, like, crazy. And you re- and then you go to, like, an Ironman event who cover it and you're like, oh, it's just – what the PTO are doing is so much bigger, so much more professional in terms of the coverage of the professional sport. And so, like, what you find yourself – like, what I find myself thinking now is, like, you every time they, like – they do a coverage, you just find people complaining about what's not there versus thinking about, hang on, we've never had this in this sport before. We're watching these races and they're awesome. Like, yeah, do we see every move on the course? No, we don't. But they're so limited. They, can, they can't have like unlimited cameras there. They want to, they want to be making enough money that they can cover everything. But it costs so much. Like you, you add a camera and it like adds $100,000 to the broadcast and things like that. And they don't have unlimited money. And I just, I just found myself thinking on the weekend like, we need to support this because they have plans, and like it's not my place to to say their plans um, being inside the four wall, four walls now, but they like they have they have plans to make this sport massive and to do with it what they did with F one in, in the UK. Like they want to take it from, uh, a, you know, a sport that people watch but it's not massive and turn it massive. So I think as fans, like my big takeaways, we just got to get behind it and support it and know that they have people so good at this who have done it in other sports who are going to like make it massive and have plans to make it massive and every complaint that you have they're talking about it they're thinking about it and they've got plans for it that's what I realised because they're like what ideas do you have talking about and you like bring up an idea like hey it'd be good to like see some stuff that's happening at the back of the races and like you know have some more cameras so that you know we're not just watching the front and they just already got plans for it and it's coming and they know that but they just have like Mm -hmm. they're just limited at the moment and then you find yourself thinking like everyone's complaining about this but if they could be having these conversations that i'm having this week they would be like okay i just got to sit back and watch this because these guys have got this covered um and like another story so sam renouf he's the ceo but he doesn't do the broadcast he does like the big big picture stuff um and he like he's got his hands on everything he's an amazing guy um, but he was at the, so we were at the briefings on Thursday. So the mail race was on the Friday and we, you do all these meetings and all these briefings and they go over everything, mate. Um, it's crazy. And Sam's on it all. And then during the broadcast, I get a text message from Sam and I'd seen him 12 hours earlier. Um, and he messaged me and I'm like, where are you? I haven't seen you. And he goes, I'm in Germany or maybe I'm not supposed to say the country. <laughs> oh, I've said it. I don't think it's actually. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sam. But um, And he, like, so he was at Milwaukee. So he's from the UK. He'd flown over to America and then come in for the race. And then he was, he'd flown to, a, like, literally the other side of the world to get another deal done or whatever it is. And the race was still going. And he's still, like, he's up during the middle of the night. It would have been, like, 2 or 3 a.m. for him watching the race. And he's just like crazy work ethic, and he was telling me about all the different countries he's flown to, and like he just works so hard. like he it was actually mind-blowing
1: yeah it's it's interesting because um, it's kind of like what you said. i i have actually gotten in trouble a few times because I uh, criticize people a bit too harsh or a bit too much, but I think the problem that I have is, is I just wanted to like speak the truth. and so like when I see that drafting is an issue. I'm pretty vocal about it. And maybe I should shut up because I'm like the inner circle of kind of the athletes. And I kind of do make like financial income from PTO at certain times and also Ironman, but I'll like critique it. And I've actually gotten in trouble before, like with Ironman, they're kind of like, well, we're not going to hire you freaking. All you do is like you bash us. And I've gotten in trouble with the PTO too. But I just like, think that like, I want to stick up for the pro athletes. And, um, and I'm not saying like, I like I'm some superior person. But I, it's hard to – and this is – we're not just over here praising PTO. Dude, it's like everything they're doing is for the better of the athletes. It's, it's crazy to watch. Like a, a perfect example, every single athlete complained last year at the Dallas, the last Dallas race, because there was a lead moto with a camera on it, and all the athletes were drafting the lead moto. There wasn't a single lead moto in this race this weekend. They did all the coverage from behind. They used drones. They use all this stuff. And so it's just like, and then this isn't even, they haven't even tapped into the budget on what they're going to do next year. Next year is going to be like their Hail Mary year for the next five years from what the rumors are I'm saying on it. And so it's just like, I guess, I mean, it's not even really rumors at this point because so Charles Adamo, who was kind of like one of the founders of the PTO, incredible guy. Uh, his vision was that the PTO would be this race organization that hosts multiple opens across the entire world. And there's anywhere between the same amount of opens as like tennis and golf and stuff. And that the best athletes would no longer dodge each other and just race each other once a year in Kona, they would race each other seven times throughout the year to, to 10 times or whatever the number is. And so from Everything that the, the little subliminal hints that Sam has dropped on podcasts, whether it's your podcast or Pro Tri News or interviews with athletes and all this stuff, I mean, next year is the year. And and what we are seeing this year is a glimpse of it. But from what like everyone is talking about, they're kind of brief the athletes on and all that, I mean, we are seeing a glimpse of this year. Next year is going to be the year to be a professional athlete.
0: It's a hard position for me because a week ago I wasn't in the you know like sanctum of the PTO I was just like you you know like um working in triathlon but no affiliation to them to now in all their message groups all the behind the scenes chat so like I went from not knowing anything to now knowing everything and so it's so truck because I want to I sort of wish I wasn't for this chat because I'd love to sit back and talk to you about all the stuff that was being talked about by everyone like it was crazy how much speculation there was throughout the week about what are the PTO going to be doing next year because everyone's like heard that it's going to be amazing and that they've got big plans and that they're saving money everywhere they can this year for what's happening next year. And I just heard all these people throw around these different rumours. I'm like, oh, I wish I could like say that's right or that's wrong or that's right or that's wrong. And this isn't to say that I know everything. I don't know everything. Like Sam definitely doesn't tell me everything and and keeps a fair bit of it secret from me probably. But... Um, but I did hear a lot and it's like, it's exciting.
1: I, th- I I mean, I can, I don't know. They, I, PTO has not shared anything with me. So I could just share what like people say is going to happen. Yeah, we, yeah. we did, uh, we had a pre show.
0: You can tell the speculation that was going on last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we had a pre show. We asked Sam, we were, we asked Sam two big things. We, we asked him on our show. We said, first off, most importantly, outside of money, outside of races and all that, what are you guys doing as far as doping? What are you guys doing as far as clean sport? And he said on there, we plan to announce in the next month or so, hopefully before Singapore, our full-on doping protocol, which includes whereabouts, it includes testimonials, it includes uh, research, it includes all this stuff. Like he hit them on, on a ball, and I'm sure that's going to come out soon, which is massive for the athletes in the first place. And then we asked Mark Andrews, Mark Matthews, asked, the next question is, how many races? Like just straight up tell us how many races will be next year. And he kind of laughed and looked over at Mark and he said, oh, How many do you want? And Mark said, I want uh we want a lot. I've heard a lot of numbers floating around. He said, Well, do you want five or do you want 10? <laughs> and uh and we've heard I've heard rumors everywhere from uh the middle in between uh that it's gonna be between five and ten. So first off, that's five and ten times. That we're gonna see championship level races. Let's just pick a number. Let's just say seven. Let's say it's seven. Let's meet in the middle. <laughs> seven times. Is that, that next year? Is that
0: random, or have you heard that?
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I've actually, I've actually heard from. Uh, I heard from an athlete. He was one hundred percent certain it was nine races next year. And then I heard from someone at. It was a hundred percent certain it was seven races next year. So <laughs>
0: this was just last week. I don't week, know wasn't what it, it is.
1: Yeah, every- it was just last week, of course. But you know what, you know what's cool about it? You know what's cool about it is the numbers high. That's yeah. the only thing that matters. And then too, it's kind of like chatting with Nick after it's like mate, like it's no hard feelings we we didn't have the budget to bring you this week. Like next year is gonna be our year. I'm telling you right now. And so it it kind of made me even ask one of the PTO employees. I was like, "Yo, look, I just have a straight up question because I'm a bit offended. I didn't get like invited, like to work with a PTO. <laughs> I'm a little bummed about, it, a little butthurt personally. And I'm like, but this is my question for you. You guys got skinny this whole year. Are you guys just actually trying to get skinny and show the investors? Look, we can pull off a race with X amount of dollars, and it can be successful. So next year we can tap the same budget." but we'll do seven races or we'll do nine races. And he looked at me and said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not in any way what we're doing. It, it's all in next year. Yeah. Make or break. And I said, but for one year? And he said, no, multiple. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Like finally, this sport is flourishing. Yeah, And I also did hear kind of like that, um, which this makes perfect sense, but the athletes... Uh, and this is just common sense too. I think this is something that Charles Adamo hit back on when he'd had all the interviews with the athletes that because some, someone raised the question, uh, who was it? It was uh, not Nicole Spierig. Someone had challenged Samarin years ago. Lisa Norden raised a question and said, how are you going to confirm that all the athletes will show up to these races though? And Charles said, and this is years ago, And I'm assuming it would be the same now, but he said, we would have all the athletes sign contracts that they would be at X amount of races per year. So I think what we've seen in the past in triathlon is like, no offense, but like you watch Ironman Lake Placid, it's nothing against Ironman. This could be any race, but it shows history has repeated itself when the females were crossing the finish line and the strength of field was not very strong. There was 200 people watching the live feed. And it's like, that's not a sellable market. But when you get these athletes in contract and you know that seven times throughout the year, we get to watch Gustav Eden versus Jan Ferdino versus Alistair Brownlee versus Lionel Sanders, Sam Long, Freddie. I mean, everyone is there seven times, nine times throughout the year. I mean, that's how you're finally going to grow the sport and create idols out of it. So... I mean, we're in we're in a great, great spot for next year.
0: I love, in how, my opinion, I love how that would happen last week. Hey, like you'd sit sit down there for the combo, and someone would be like, "So, I've just heard five races next year. That that's what's happening." And then, like, literally, 15- I never,
1: I never heard the number. I never heard the number five. I heard uh, seven and nine. All yeah, the
0: and then the next, well, and then the next combo, someone would come up to you and go, "Hey, so." nine races next year. That's what I've just heard. That's a fact. And then you'd be like, oh, really? Where are they going to be? And they'd be like, they'd say this like three towns for certain. And they're like, they're working on the rest. And then you go to another convo and they'd, they're be working like, on the rest. they'd be like six races next year. And you'd be like, fuck, really? And they're like, yep. And they're going to be here, here and here. And it's different to the one before. And you'd be like, and, and I'm like, oh, where are the others? They go, they're working on them. And you, you just get to having that same conversation. And uh, yeah, it was pretty I funny. I some
1: rumors on locations, but the, oh. the locations, they're not necessarily rumors. They just make more so sense. Okay. Which um, I know the, a fair the, few of them. The best thing the, the, best thing the PTO did was do the partnership with USA Triathlon this weekend. Clearly, we know. PTO does not do good at putting on races for amateur athletes, not in any way knocking them. They will attest to that. Sam Renew said it himself. It's not good. But when they partner with these world championship events or national championship events, I mean, there was thousands upon thousands of people watching the men race. So next year, the USA Triathlon, and I'm assuming they partner with USA Triathlon, Next year, it's going to be in Atlantic City. Is where USA Triathlon National Championships in Atlantic City, which I mean seems brilliant. So I would assume they would have a race there. And assuming they bring the Canadian Open back, it's going to probably be in Edmonton. So I'd guess that was another location. And then, I mean, where do all sports go when they need big, big money? <laughs> I know which, where you're
0: going here. <laughs> I mean,
1: where's where's the Tyson? Where's the Tyson Fury fight at? It's going to be. In the Middle East? Where does the UFC go when they need big money fights? or <laughs> It's in the Middle East. So, those are the only ones I've just heard. But I mean, that right there is for alone. And then you can add plenty of more. So, uh, I think just disguise the, the limit. I mean, what if they partnered with someone like the Noosa triathlon, where there's <laughs> thousands upon thousands of people there? You, I mean, th- but no, just just think about it, though. Like,
0: I know. Why yeah. would you not? Great point. Great point. Be good to have a PTO oh, race man. in Australia.
1: So I just feel like that we're finally on the brink of turning this into a professional sport.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I'm not going to say too much, but there's going to be races everywhere. And uh, it's, yeah, it's exciting. Some things you've said then make a lot of sense. Um, and and numbers of races make a lot of sense. And it's, uh, it's exciting. Something Sam did say to me, actually, that I don't think is confidential, but he said, Uh, I think his direct quote was, "I'm cutting money everywhere I can this year because next year is going to be massive, Uh, and and then 2025 is going to be bigger again." So they really are like they're like there's a story about them cutting you, like we know your 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 bill's big, like you're asking thirty forty thousand for a weekend. We know we know what your bill is. So (laughs) so (laughs) fifty,
1: come on, come on, fifty thousand. Like
0: they're trying to compete with Lionel, who makes infinite money at the moment from the from the feed. Um, (laughs) But, but like uh, they are cutting a lot of money this year and a lot of money on lots of things so that the next two years can be massive, um, which is awesome. Hey, uh, uh, change in tact a little bit and maybe we wrap it up here. We've talked way longer than I assumed we would, but it's it's fun and we p- could probably tell another 20 stories like this all week. Something that I want to touch on and I wonder if you saw it, and maybe it goes to the Dubrick thing a little bit and you talked about the Papa Yarn effect, but the yarn, like bubble all week was probably the craziest thing of the week and a lot of people talked about it but yarn there's i think there's two versions of yarn from what i've seen and it's not much and i don't know yarn but like there's a there's a version that you see on yarn on interviews and when he does post-race interviews and then there's there's a version of him that you see around the race and they're pretty different like he's got a bit of a different demeanor around the race did do you did you get that vibe all week as well
1: yeah, I, but you got to wonder if it's Jan or if it's professional athlete. Like Jan is the pinnacle of sport in triathlon. Like he is the goat, 100%. He is like the alpha and he gives off this alpha aurora that when you even when you're around him you're like, wow. Big time. I'm in his presence and it's like I mean, it's Jan's way or The highway,
0: yes, and,
1: and and I think that I think I think that I a, a, I don't know if so if, if as many of these athletes have this effect now. I mean, I would say Alistair almost does, but not to the extent that Jan has. He's probably Alistair probably lost a little bit of it because it, it, he hasn't done as successful at the long course as Jan has. I mean, Alistair's race career was insane short course, and Jan has like flipped the script of his career. It's like Jan was never really that good, like. Yes, he did win an Olympic gold medal, but he was never really winning all the races in a short course. But he's completely flipped the script. It's like he is the god of triathlon. But the aura he gave around all week, like you gotta, you got to wonder, like, was this like I'm in such crazy shape? I know 100% of me. Because, for example, we're with Christian, that whole pool story. I dropped him off at his hotel because he had to go shower and he had to go to to do an interview with Jan. And I was like, oh, you guys are doing like part two again. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm excited to see this. Like PTO, like to, they kill it with this stuff. Like I, you never see any other challenges at doing this. Roth isn't doing this. Iron Man's not doing this. You know what I mean? And so it's like, this is going to be great. And then, and then Christian ubers over to meet, meet us for dinner. And he walks up and he sits down. I'm like, how was it? Like, because I'm all excited. Like it's a triathlon thing. I can't wait to see this interview. And he's like, it was weird. Like Jan was weird. Yeah, and like, like, what do you mean though? Like, what was he? And he's like, I don't know. He's like telling me that like I'm like remind him of his daughter, and he goes, maybe it's maybe it's like a verbage thing, like English. I don't understand the translation. And I'm like, he said you were his daughter, and he was like, <laughs> yes, I don't understand. <laughs> but if you watch that interview too, dude, the comp like that, Jan clearly going into a visa knew he was going to lose. Agree. I think he just like knew it. Yep. And dude, he shows up here and he's like, no way Christian wins.
0: 100%. And dude, and
1: when you watch Jan Ray, it's like, dude, he's nose breathing those that run. Like it was then, crazy. Oh, oh, Jason West outran even Jan by five minutes. I'm like, dude, Jan was nose breathing. A
0: hundred percent, man. Like
1: he he knew he was, he knew what he had in the bag. Dude, he was getting dropped on the bike. It just came back like a ferocious demon. He saw him down at the swim familiarization, like the whole like aura looking at like Mark Dubrick. It's like. <laughs> you want to swim with me like i don't mean this like in an insulting way i do think that for sport you need that killer mentality i do think you can do it from both perspectives like you can still do it like christian and gustav or the other athletes and be like happy and friendly and all that but dude he wanted to like solidify like if he wasn't going to beat christian he's going to beat him with the mind games this week which i think that he he had an effect I, i'll also give you another example. This is kind of a funny one. They're about to do the call-out at the um the swim start call-outs. And they and you know they only do like the top five athletes, like PTO ranked top five. And uh Lionel's getting ready to go out and he's about to step out. And the guy stops Lionel and he's like, Oh no, 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 you you're you're going, you have you have your own special call out with the with a song and all that. And Lionel's like, Me? I'm not even ranked in the top 20 now. Why do I have a call out? And Jan looks over at. First off, Jan didn't even say or acknowledge Lionel at the um, swim familiarization, which everyone, like, I don't want to say everyone. We thought it was kind of weird, because like, we kind of thought they were like bros, you know, like Tri Battle. Like, Jan's kind of my bro and stuff. But like, Jan didn't acknowledge anyone there. He's like, I'm here for business. Don't yep. No one talked to me. Exactly. And uh, so Lionel's like, that's kind of weird. But uh, so Lionel's like, oh, they're like, oh, no, you have your special call out and all that. And Lionel's like, me. And then Jan looks over at Lionel and says guess your youtube's paying off after all <laughs> straight face dude like straight face like basically and then just turns back away so it wasn't like you said it with the joke it was like i'm gonna like he thought of that like that quick and he's like i'm gonna get in lionel's head right before this swim start and just screw him but dude he's the king of it like mm-hmm. dude like in sport, like you saw Maka do this. You saw like Frazier do this. Like Muhammad Ali, like all these guys. And dude, no one really does it in her sport. And Jan is like the king of it. And so Lionel's like, damn, dude, I can't believe you just said that. Like, that's such an insult. Like, I agree with you, but God. And Aaron Royal was in between him and he picked up on it too. And I didn't, uh, Lionel thought it was only Jan had heard it. And I chatted with the, the same story about with Aaron Royal after this. And Aaron's like, dude, that was like a dagger to like, I felt bad for Lionel. So, dude, he's just like – he's like a demagogue. I don't know, dude. He's going to be freaking hard to beat in Nice, but who knows?
0: Yeah. It's, it, so, I, I got the same vibe pre Ibiza that he knew he wasn't going to win and that, like, he knew he wasn't in that great shape or whatever it was. And, like, I was hearing – I just kept hearing all week, Yarn is in great shape at the U.S. Open. Like, everyone was talking about it. Like, Yarn is in insane shape. But, like – I, I hadn't heard it until I got to the event and some people were talking. I was hearing about some sessions. I'm like, what the hell? Like, that's crazy, um, some of the stuff I was hearing. And then on the race, like, he was, like, getting dropped on the bike and then he was – this wasn't caught by the main camera, but um, he was hammering it through the technical section to get back on, got back on, and then I'm with you. He literally was cruisy on that run. He had so much left to give. Like, he, he was s- too easy. Like, he was so easy. Um, he, he the, no matter like Jason West could have like if Jason West had have started um, two minutes you know closer yarn still would have won he, he had so much left mm-hmm. to give it was just so obvious and yeah I just found it fascinating so it's interesting that you felt like you had the same experience and saw the same things but he was just the way he wore was walking around all week I don't want to call it arrogance because I don't think it's the right word it's like it's this like just complete. He just had this complete confidence, like almost like he knew he was going to win. Like you said, you said you, you said that same thing, and I—that's the vibe I was getting off, off him all week. And I, I again, I don't want this to sound negative because it's not meant to be negative. It's it's almost like the mindset of the like the elite of the elite, like you talked about. But almost like he's better than everyone, and he knows it. I think he does. Know, I
1: think he does know it, though.
0: Yeah, and it was just so obvious. And it's like. You know these these sort of things they have negative connotation in day to day society, but to be the best in a sport you, in a like a sport that's so competitive you need it, and he was just exuding it all week. It was just a fascinating thing to stand back and watch, wasn't it? Because um, then he mm-hmm. like, he does interviews and he's like, "I'm just a nice guy," like, a, and you're like, "Yeah, you're a nice guy, but you're also just an absolute killer who like." loves yourself and is super confident in great ways. I'm not saying that like he's, you know, he's arrogant, loves himself. It's not like that. I'm not saying it like that. It's in like a, the way you have to, to be that good. And he just, when he's off camera and stuff and he's around the athletes, he just, he just like, it's just like, like, it's just a weird thing. No one else has it at the races. No, no other male or female at the races has it. Yeah, not at all. And it's just this weird thing. It's like an energy thing. It's like, you, you don't it's you don't know why you're feeling it but you're just feeling it and yeah like everyone like another it's another thing that everyone was talking about um yeah i, I don't want that to sound negative uh because it's not negative yeah
1: it's it's not it's not in any way negative it's it shows the more professional side but it's kind of like what lionel said lionel's like there's no cameras around for this comment that he made to me there's no yes there's no cameras around for this there's no like there's no one listening other than Aaron Royal. Everyone else is focused on themselves. And and he didn't well, – I don't even know that Aaron Royal heard. He thought it was just – Yon just straight to him like, guess your YouTube's paying off after all. Like, just like – and it's just – he knows how to do it. But the craziest thing about it is, is the second he solidified the W, he turned it off. Yes. Deek! He did. It's literally an on-off switch. Yep. It's like, think.
0: Yep. 100%.
1: Like, Christian – Christian, I mean, yes, Christian has business to take care of. He has the test event, but next day on a plane, gone. Like, Magnus, like, sorry, Magnus was out on the course cheering people on. But um, Lionel's like, I'm going to the state fair with my family. Like, I'm pissed about my race. Like, I ain't doing this. And Jan is like, by himself on a canyon bike, cruising around the course, going to press conference, like with all the spectators, hanging out in VIP like dude it is a killer on off switch it's crazy
0: yeah and like at that athlete drinks thing after the 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 saturday night after the women's race he was there as well just like just he's just one of everyone and he didn't have that same aura about him it was bizarre actually that that's what you said about the on off switch exactly how it felt and i just hadn't like articulated in my in my like i hadn't thought about it like that but he was just friendly like he like when he like he, I was having a conversation with him then sh- shakes your hand he's just lovely and you're like hang on I saw you a day ago and you just you weren't this you weren't this um and yeah so he just must get himself in these mindsets before racing that i've probably like i probably can't relate to you probably can't relate to the average person probably can't relate to but yeah it was just an absolute like fascinating thing to stand back and watch all weekend
1: the the i'll, I'll leave it at this when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, went to the uh, I was wrestling at the time. Whatever. This isn't about me. This I went to the U.S. Open, which Tiger was playing in Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up being a golf fan. I watched Tiger. I was like the biggest fan ever of him. And Tiger was walking from the uh, third tee to the fourth tee, and I pos- we positioned ourselves maybe like two hours in advance. We watched all the golfers come by. Tyler, tiger was in the final group this was on the sunday he's playing for the win and he was walking i was like dude i'm like i i actually have goosebumps right now talking t- to this i'm like i'm gonna i'm about to see tiger like he's gonna be right in front of me in the flesh i stuck my hand out as far as i can and to touch tiger like like for him to give me a high five and i was a kid dude tiger walked past me like i was dust <laughs> Like literally, like I didn't even exist like that. If I was like, and like, dude, I know he saw me. I I know it. And I was just like, oh my God, that is perfect. And like, as much as I was down, I was like, that was the greatest thing in my life. (laughs) That is the pinnacle of a professional athlete. Tiger was that focused that he's like, like he can turn off. The humans around him like literally completely turn them off and so that's what reminds me yon and i took that in like i i was like i tried to be like tiger when i was wrestling like and stuff but like it was like that's what it reminds me of it is that killer switch that i am the pinnacle of the sport and i can turn it on and off and when i need it on i ain't messing with nobody i'm here for one thing that's to cross that finish line first and get that w so and I
0: would say that Christian is like similar in terms of level. Like Yarn is better than Christian at the moment um, in terms of like their overall record for their careers. But I would say that Christian and Yarn are very similar in terms of like who is the best athlete in the world right now. Like they're, they're pretty similar. Like maybe some people think Christian's better. Some people think Yarn's better, whatever. Um, but like the, Christian's very different, isn't he? He's so friendly and nice. Like after the race, Um, Christian sent me a message like we weren't talking or anything he just sent me a message and he said like like yo just wanted to reach out and say like well done on the commentary like I thought you were really good and and I like I hope they get you back for it and I just thought to myself like it's funny how different him and Jan are because like Jan's the friendliest guy in the world but he's not reaching out to anyone like a random person like that and you like everyone tells these stories about Christian like just he comes and hangs out and he just jokes around with everyone he's so relaxed but like it's funny and like and he's like that leading into the race all week as well it's just funny how different people do it differently but still achieve such high things and another one with christian is he does and this is something no one would have seen i don't think they capture it on cameras and stuff he gets himself pumped up like a ufc fighter before a race like on the oh, start dude, line. it's crazy have you seen it
1: yeah oh yeah oh i've seen it first in edmonton like like dude he's like him and gustav like slapping himself and like, yes. hitting himself in the chest doing push-ups yes like, you're like
0: what? <laughs> he was doing it at the u.s open too he like slaps himself in the face and stuff and on the chest he's like hitting himself and he's like saying like come on let's go it's so good
1: yeah it's crazy it's crazy anyway mate Thanks. let's wrap well, it up for, hey, uh, next time next time we're at a race next year one of the uh what Nine, seven, five, ten. <laughs> Races. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to get some video. We'll get some video of Christian hyping himself up and being uh, ready to go. Yeah,
0: actually, so. I actually I want to be a part of your uh your like a week your week long series for the next one, whichever one it is. Maybe race one of the year next year for the PTO because you're not going to be in Singapore. Dude. are you
1: no Singapore. I'm actually in font remote right now. My first time ever out here, and I'm doing my uh first forty-eight hour series with. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to chat about it sometime in the pod. Forty-eight hour series with Christian. I'm out here with Gustav and Christian, and uh, wow, they are two peas in a pod, hilarious, and uh, some just insane training. So, capturing all that and going to try to have that up on YouTube in the next two or three weeks can be another great episode.
0: I love, I love that you're doing it. Yeah, you still haven't given me the public credit I deserve there. All
1: right, okay, we we will, we will tell the story. Full episode on it though. Tell the story. But essentially, essentially, I. Start. I, I started doing like these 24 hours of these athletes like these videos like this is kind of if you, if you go to the Talbot Cox YouTube I started doing these and then I kind of went to Kona and I was like oh, I'm gonna do 24 hours with so-and-so before Kona and then it kind of just evolved the turn into the Kona series from there I met Gwen Jorgensen Lionel Sanders Tim and Rennie and I really just kind of started launching their pass and doing all their content and all that and then I was kind of like looking back at it. and I'm like, man, I really need to like launch my own channel again, like about a year ago. And I was like, I really want to go back to the 24-hour series, but not really for sure. And then old Jack Kelly rings me up and he's like, mate, I'm just browsing on YouTube. You, your, your channel, you have posts on it over a year. Why aren't you doing videos? You should be covering all these athletes. And I'm like, he gave me the pep talk I needed. <laughs> so then I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go do it 48 hours of Lionel Sanders and test it out. So that's how it was kind of born again. And then I went over with Lionel and did the first one, proof of concept, because it was on his channel. So I know it's going to do good. And then was meant to do one with Chelsea actually two weeks ago, the week before the U.S. Open. And it wasn't her that canceled on me. I actually had to cancel on her. My wife had some doctor appointments we had to, we had to go to. So I had to bail, unfortunately. She was completely keen to do it, but still have Chelsea on as the next athlete in September. Christian uh, is this weekend and Christian, it's kind of funny I got out here and Christian was like, Oh, is it me and Gustav? And I'm like, No, dude, it's just you. Like, you guys should be separate. I hate when people just say the Norwegians and oh, it's all amen. Like, they're two different athletes. Amen. And I'm like, let's do you and then I'll come to come back out and we're gonna do Christian as well. Love But that. it was oh, hilarious. Love hilarious. That. Oh, dude, we're yesterday, it's their recovery day. They're like, What do you want to do? And Lord Gina and are like, I don't know, we just want to like explore. And they're like, Let's drive to Endora." And Christian's like, I can look for the throne. (laughs) I was like, like, let's do it. Let's do it. So we get in the car. We drive all the way to Andorra. Like, just because Lord G and I is our first time up here. And, like, they're trying to, like, literally entertain us. I'm like, guys, you literally have the Olympic test event next week. And they're like, oh, we don't care. Like, we want to see Andorra, too. And we're on our way over there. And Christian's, like, fangirling over, like, Cam Wirth and they're like, oh. I'm like, I can text Cam Worth. I have his number. I'll text him, see if he wants to get coffee. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I text Cam and he sends me an audio message back. And he's like, what are you cheeky mates doing in my neck of the woods? Yeah, let's let's get coffee. And I was like, I have Christian and Gustav with me. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going for a run. Tell him to join. And they're like so giddy ear to ear. So they go running with Cam Worth for an hour. Ah, uh, dude, just so, so much fun. So much of the video. It's going to be.
0: An awesome video. Yeah. Love that you did it, mate. Because the triathlon, the triathlon world needs it. Um, I love Freddie Funk, right? Like uh, during the week at the PTO US Open, I don't know. You probably didn't. Did you see me ever without Fred Funk? I felt like I was just with Fred for like four days straight and um, he wouldn't leave me alone. And he's always- he's Oh, like- I
1: thought- it- did you- I thought he nearly broke up with his girlfriend for you. It's kind of like Kyle and I. Some people are like, wait, is Talbot gay? It's like, is he dating Kyle or is he actually married to Laura Jean? It's like, no, I'm still married to my beautiful wife. He's way better looking than Kyle has ever dreamed of.
0: I got a good, This sorry, this, one more story. I was just going to say that um, Christian might, like Fred's always been my favorite, but Christian might be my favorite like triathlete at the moment. He's just so fun. Like he's just so like silly. I love it um oh, dude. one one last story and we'll we'll wrap it up uh, from this so um i hadn't met anyone at the pto yet and we had like this phone call meeting with the commentary team before the race so before i'd flown out to america i was in australia and i was having this conversation at like 2 a.m and it was like during the day for everyone else in america and it was like john gooden um, don't remember if Rini was on it. She was probably on it. Um, and then like three or four of the other guys, who guys and girls, um, who helped behind the scenes for the commentary and the broadcast. And they were just like going through debriefs and like you know they were going through the race and the like all this stuff you need to know. And then they, we got onto like f- how to pronounce certain names and like because some of like John and that didn't know how to pr- pronounce certain names. And we were talking about Fred Funk and they're like, is it Funk or Funk? And we sort of talked about that for a little bit. And then, so he was on my mind. And then they're like, is there anyone else? Like, is there anything else to like talk about? Is there anything else we need to touch on before we go? And I was like, oh, um, just one thing. Like, I know we're just talking about Fred. Um, but like, he's just like, he, he we all know about his past. Um, and like, I just think it's best if we don't talk about his past on the broadcast. And everyone's like, oh, like what about his past? And I'm like, Oh, like he's passed as a male sex worker. Um, Like everyone knows it in the triathlon world that that's what he used to do before he was a professional triathlete. But – but, like, I just think it's best if we don't talk about it. And, like, so if you, this is like a running joke we have because Fred used to do the road to the PTO European Open series without a shirt on. So we'd all go to record and it'd be like me and Micah and Newton, Colin Chartier, and Fred would be sitting there on the webcam with no shirt on, like, every time. And so, like, we just started making jokes that Fred was a stripper and then it turned into Fred was a sex worker. And so it was just a running joke. And so I said this to this team and I, and like, I was just joking around <laughs> and, like, I, but I don't know any of these people. And when I said it, everyone was just dead silent. And then John goes, oh, no, 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 of course. we Like, of course we wouldn't mention that. I'm like, yeah, that's good. And (laughs) I never said that I was just joking. And then we get to the race and John's like, is that true about Fred Funk? And I'm like, is what true about Fred Funk? And John's like, what you said on the phone the other night and I got I forgot I even said it I just started pissing myself laughing I'm like no it's, like
1: oh just, 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 <laughs> it's
0: just a joke and I'm like it's funny because I was on speaker on that call um uh I, I, so sorry I, I was on that call and um and I remember thinking to myself like oh they think I'm being serious they have no idea that I'm joking this is just awkward now and John was like oh yeah we talked about that and we're like God, that was awkward. Like, what do we say to that? Because they, cause none of them knew me. They didn't know there was a joke. Clearly, none of them had listened to the series. Uh, it was so funny, mate. And so when we were having oh beers, my God. we were having beers after the the men's race, and I was telling Fred, Fred and Aaron about it because Aaron was part of the series as well, and Tom Bishop, and like we were just pissing ourselves laughing about it. Uh, and Fred, and like Fred just goes along with it so good, and it's um yeah, that was. Funny story to wrap up on.
1: That's hilarious.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. Great we'll do it again race. soon.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Next PTO race, let's do this exact same thing, but we'll actually, let's uh, make it, like take a little like notepad and every time you hear a good story, we'll write it down and we'll make this our thing. After every PTO race or big race that we're at together, we'll jump on and we'll tell like behind the scenes we'll stories.
1: It. Yep. I love it. I love awesome, it. Awesome, We'll mate. do it. All right, man. Chat See soon. you, brother.
0: Say hi to Christian and Gustav and Olav and the boys for me.
1: All right, I totally will. I totally will. Yeah, we're about to. uh, He's about to go on a bike ride and they're doing some like Morton testing, like going to be breathing into a bag to read the amount of Morton that they're consuming. And I'm like, what (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? As long as I'm not watching Olaf stick something up your butt so you can see how much of carbs you're uh, getting or you're pissing out, whatever. I don't know. Sure, whatever you're doing.
0: Only Christian and Olaf. So good. Okay, so now it's time for a quick PTO US Open race recap and then a quick look ahead to this weekend's race at the PTO Asian Open in Singapore. Joining me for it, and there's no one better, is the three-time Ironman world champ, Craig Alexander. Crowy, how are you, mate? I'm
2: very good, Jack. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. And, and also joining us, Crowey, uh, almost I look at someone as your partner in crime back in the day and my commentary partner in crime, also a three-time Ironman world champ, Ma... And Da Carfay. Rini, <laughs> what's <laughs> been happening since I saw you last?
3: <laughs> yeah, I've been good. I've uh, been busy. We kind of went straight to a wedding, then straight up the mountains, and we got family here. So, yeah, it's been a whirlwind.
0: Crowey, we, we know her name's Marinda Carfay, but uh, for the US Open, <laughs> on her name tag, that, so we get these like passes, right, that like let you in all the back, back areas. On Rini's name tag, her name was Miranda Carfay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, you guys stuffed up both. My first and last name. Well done.
0: <laughs> they, they did it's their research. Name. It is a hard name though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't know how to say it.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's been a pain in my butt for my whole life <laughs> having to spell both the first name and the last name, and then it's, they still don't get it right. But it's all good. It is what it is. That's why I go by Rinny, Much easier.
0: <laughs> Were you ever almost Marinda O'Donnell?
3: Uh, I always um thought I would change my last name but now it just seems like so much paperwork and hmm. I think it was like you know once we I finished racing then I'd change like officially change it but I think at this point it doesn't really matter I mean my kids are last names O'Donnell but yeah
2: I mean Tim, Tim should change Tim should change his name Timothy <laughs> Cuffrate
3: yeah <laughs> he does not like that we were just up at um in Vale and uh, we rented the place under my name, and so he was being called Mr. Carfrey, <laughs> 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 much, much hey. to my um, enjoyment.
2: <laughs> that's what that's what we've been calling him for a decade.
3: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know him as Rini's husband. Hey guys, uh, let's get into the races. So we'll start in race order. Um, so with the men. Jan Fredino had a masterful win. Jason West ran five minutes faster than everyone else to come second. And Christian Blumenfeld had like a typically gutsy, uh, I'd rather die than give up uh, podium finish like he, like he's sort of becoming known for doing. Crowley, um talk to me about how you saw the race and what your key takeaways from it were.
2: Yeah, you know, I think you've just summed it up. I mean, Jan did what he does and what the truly great athletes do, which is win. Um, You know, the greats win when they're supposed to win, but I think probably more importantly what separates them is they win when they're probably not supposed to win. Um, You know, his recent history is well-documented with um, the, the torn Achilles, the bike crash, and all the complications off the back of that. And he's always been a class athlete, though, with an unbelievably high level across all three disciplines of our sport. Extremely consistent. And, you know, I, I think it was just a matter of time until his body caught back up to his engine. Um, and it finally has. It's taken a while. He had some serious um, injuries and illnesses. Um, so, or complications, should I say. So, it, it was an amazing performance. You know, I think Jan is really the best swimmer, the best biker, or the best runner in the race. But he's always in the top two or three across all those disciplines. He's never far from the front. He's tactically very astute. I mean, never makes mistakes. We've seen him win a lot of races with tactics where, I mean, I think back to the 2017 um, 70.3 Worlds in Port Elizabeth when there was that front group, and the front of that front group was very aggressive. Alistair was trying to get away. I think Peter Hamrick was was trying to bridge across. Um, Sammy Appleton was up there. well and and Jan just sat towards the middle of the back of that group keeping things very steady didn't even attempt to get to the front of that bike group until they were coming into t2 got through t2 the quickest and then and then made those other boys who'd been surging the last two hours surge again to try and bridge up to him he just always plays the right card and i think it was a a typical young performance it was amazing he went on the clock back um and i think he's coming in a you know really good form looking forward to what's you know what he's got coming up on his schedule next month.
0: A question I've been wanting to ask you, and I haven't asked anyone else. I've been saving it for you. As soon as I like watched the race, I'm like, I'm going to ask Crowley that before I even knew we were doing this <laughs> podcast. So you were known in your career, you're a three-time Ironman world champion, two-time 70.3 world champion. You were known as coming on late. So you didn't start winning until, well, you were winning in your 20s, but you didn't start winning the big races that made you famous until you were in your 30s. And then you were the oldest person to ever win Kona at 38. You were still racing when you were 41, 42, and you were great, but you weren't winning Kona, and you definitely weren't winning the PTO US Open. But prior to Yarn, you were sort of the guy as uh, who was known as, as being sort of the best, the latest into your career, even better than, say, what Cam Brown was. He's forty-one. He's forty-two, um, maybe now. In a week's time, something like that. The the current generation of triathletes, long course triathletes, are all young. They're twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. Christian's twenty, twenty-nine. He's about the oldest. Did is there something surprising there? Like, why is it that Yarn is the guy who can win when he's forty-two, when everyone else has retired five years ago or is just nowhere near competitive at that age? Like, what what is it about Yarn?
2: I think Rennie summed it up during the coverage while you guys were commentating on the race live is that the fact he's still willing to fight for every inch and i mean we certainly get distanced on that bike a lot of times um you know those pure power sections magnus was able to to distance him and create some separation but again, jan so well-rounded the technical sections the cornering the descending he was he kept reattaching himself but i think it's just the mindset i mean there's no absolutes in sport we, we always try and look for rules and patterns, and, and there are different trends for sure. I think, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, athletes were retired in all sports by the time they were 28 or 29, and I think we've seen with sports science and better nutrition, technology, a lot of things for people. I mean, in tennis, I mean, you know, Roger played until nearly 40, Rafa's into his um, mid to late 30s, as is Djokovic. I think uh, men's and women's sport we, we see athletes just have I don't know, more longevity than than they've had. and I think with Jan, it's a testament to his mindset um, you know after I mean I, as an endurance athlete, it takes I mean I started as a 21 year old I was a, I was a 88 kilo soccer player when I was 20 and then came into the sport and I think when you start late, your window is late. Um, there's no shortcutting. It just takes years and years of great training to to develop world-class aerobic conditioning and be able to contend in these races. And that's why we we see athletes typically, you know, they come onto our radar and they slowly improve and slowly improve. Rarely do we see someone explode onto the scene and win and then keep winning. Every now and again, you see a young athlete win and then maybe they're not as consistent. But to develop that consistency where they're just contending for every single race, it just takes – um, a long time and you know, you hear people talk about the 10,000 hour rule. I don't know how many hours it is. I guess if you're more naturally talented and have better genetics, it might be fewer hours, but it's still thousands of hours. And then when you get to that point you have a window, a winning window. and yarn's kept his window open a long time because I think again, it's just a testament to the people around him, his family, Emma, the support he gets on the home front, his coach Dan, um, Felix, You just need to create that environment around you where, I mean, there's no question he's, from purely a sporting standpoint, his heart and lungs, his ability to perform is there and has been there for a long time. But it's other things around that that keep you in the sport for a long time. And he still must have a really burning desire to not only, I think, to to win but just to continue to improve, to set new benchmarks for himself. Um, I think that's what drives a lot of athletes. And it's amazing that with all the other things he's got going on, a young family and, and and business opportunities that he still has that focus and drive to turn up every day and do the little things that we don't see. Um, for me, that's the impressive thing. And, you know, I think, you know, in the end you, can, you can look back and say things happen for a reason, but it may be a blessing, you know, at the time, I'm sure it wasn't the, the partially torn Achilles and the bike crash, but it's, it's kept his fire burning for a long time. And as fans, we get the benefit of that. We get to watch him race for longer. So um, I can't wait to watch uh, the race in the East next month. I think he's right in the frame again.
0: And Rini, what impressed you most of the podium? Was it Christian Blumenfeld being able to hold on and in the end only finishing 30 seconds back from the win after you know, being stopped on the side of the road for over a minute and a half with cramping um, and like that battle with Jason West where Jason West went past him and he was the only one that was able to hold on or or was it Jason West running far five minutes faster than everyone else? Which, which one imp- impressed you the most?
3: Well, I think first and foremost, Yarn impressed me the most. I I did not think he was going to win that race. I, <laughs> I had Christian winning um, and especially when they got off the bike, I'm like, well, I think Christian, you know, has the ability to run similar to what, Jason West has um and you know Jan clearly was on form you know he but he had to burn a lot of matches he he did make one mistake probably and he doesn't make many mistakes but he made a mistake where he left his swim skin on you know yeah. he made those like funny little mistakes but when he's actually racing and executing a race he doesn't make mistakes or he has the capacity to like find an extra gear all the time. And I think you hit the nail on the head as well, Crow, with his mindset. I think the key with Jan is that he has a burning desire to keep competing. And I think that is a testament to the athlete that he is and the person that he is. But to have that after winning so much, like he's won everything. I mean, he has nothing to prove. He could have walked away three, four years ago after his last world title, and he would have still been called the greatest of all time. But um, he still re- he lives for this, and he says that a lot. And I think that's... What we're seeing on display and I think also you other, oh, hit the nail on the head again when you said he had that Achilles injury he had the bike crash and I think that just extended his his, his career because he's like I want to finish on a high note and that's enabled him to come to this point and at 41 42 I mean I think age as as you said is kind of a little bit, just a number, obviously, yeah, the chassis, you used to say it all the time, Crowley, the engine's there, the mind's willing, but the chassis, things are falling apart. Like it's not as easy anymore. And Jan sort of hinted to it as well when people were saying, you know, you're winning at the highest level, you know, why, why would you stop? And he's like, you should see my routine now, like just to get moving in the morning, got to get up. I've got to do this. I've got to do like, it's not just doing the training anymore. Now it's like, like X, Y, and Z, all the other like little things you've got to get right to get, to the start line in one piece. Um but yeah I think Jan and then the other one I mean Jason West his run performance I had him basically out of the race um when we saw Magnus and and I, I had the podium coming from that front group but then you know this is triathlon and crazy things happen Magnus dropped out um obviously Christian had the cramps and so it was just all of a sudden um anyone's game and Jason West having the the tenacity and the um, mental strength to just run the best he could run through the field um and like back himself against Christian in those final miles when Christian was actually running properly well we I think towards the end he seemed to be able to get himself back to running the pace that he should have been able to run for the whole race so I mean honestly the race had it all it was pretty fun to call as you know Jack but um I, I mean it was really cool to see Jan back on top the top step, but again, I did not pick that.
0: Rini, if we go by the letter of the the law, Jan Fredino should have got a penalty for that, that sort of indiscretion in transition. Like if if we're gonna go exactly as the as the rule book states, he should have got a penalty. And and we all sort of know that. But then it was a bit confusing because it was a PTO employee who grabbed it off him and like in the heat of the moment, you sort of put yourself in that position. Of course, you're going to pass it to a PTO employee. So that PTO employee is also in the wrong a little bit. What do you think? Do you, should he have got the penalty there, or should he have not got the penalty?
3: Um, that's a tough one. Um, I'm like not a stickler for the rules, but I think the rules are in place for a reason. But I mean, Jan had the presence of mind to know, oh no, I have you know, I have my swimskin on. I'm going to have to go back and put it in my bucket. But then he had a PTO official say. Pass it to me, um, I'll I'll take care of it for you. So m- yeah, maybe the official should have left, probably shouldn't have interfered at all. And, and that's, yeah. you know, should have been on Jan's shoulders. But in the moment, I think anyone would have passed it to the official because the official was telling him to give it to him. So yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, you never want to see athletes penalized. I mean, obviously it was a silly mistake on his behalf, but he gained like I mean, I guess he did com- gain a slight competitive advantage because he didn't have to run back and put his yeah. swim skin back in his in, in his bucket. So, yeah, I mean, hard, that's a hard one. I don't I don't know what the answer is. I, I, my opinion is that the official probably should not have interfered, and Jan probably should have had to go put that back in the bucket. And then, and then that's another another thing. Like, Jan hasn't raced a whole lot, and that's part of racing a lot, right? Like, Jan had the fire because he hasn't raced a lot but racing a lot reminds you of all the little things that you have to get mm-hmm. right. And like doing, you know, it's sort of autopilot and yeah, I'm being in the sport for as long as he has, it goes to show that even being in the sport for that long, you still have to practice the little things. And, you know, obviously he was in the heat of the moment and he was struggling to get his kit up. Um, and yeah, he just forgot, but I don't know. What do you think about Alan Crowley?
2: Um, I kind of agree. I think, Look, watching. I I watched the replay again a couple of days ago and paid more attention through transition. All the other athletes took time to pick their swim skins up and throw them in the bucket. So obviously something had been said about putting your gear in the bucket. Um, We'll never know. I mean, Jan might have had the presence of mind to take it off where he was and stuff it down his top like a fairing. So it wouldn't have cost him any time and then potentially discarded it at an aid station, which you're allowed Mm -hmm. to do. So, you know, I mean, I, I then you know, for the women, I saw that there were a few penalties handed out. And, and when you see that, you think, oh, that, that's kind of not fair. If, But again, I agree. I mean, what's the answer to do if, you know, there is a rule that says you have to place all your gear in your transition bucket, but there's also a rule that states you have to listen to officials on the course and their direction. So he's sort of, I guess you're between a rock and a hard place there. So I kind of agree that if that PTO, if that person was a technical official, they've made the mistake. And if it wasn't a technical official, they should have stayed out, of, stayed out of it. I think had they stayed out of it, Jan may probably had the presence of mind just to take that swim skin off and tuck it down his front anyway. So it may or may not have cost him any time either way. It's, it's just one of those things. I mean, looking back, I think the next day they handed out a few penalties and you kind of think, oh, well, that's a bit harsh considering what happened yesterday to those athletes. But As far as Jan was concerned, I'm I'm not sure what more he could have done. He followed the direct instruction of someone on the course. And had that person not been there, again, he may, um, and we're just speculating, but he may have just taken that swim skin off and tucked it down his front. I think that's what I would have done. Um, You know, you see a lot of athletes these days, and and you talked about it, Jack, in the coverage with all the the testing the athletes are doing now, they're putting either camelbacks or drink bottles down the front of their suit, and it's no aerodynamic Disadvantage. So I'm guessing Jan probably would have done that. So um, it is a tough one, and I'm I'm sure moving forward, no athlete will um, make that mistake, but it happens in racing. Like you say, when you don't race a lot, those little, little details can get missed. But I think he would have had the presence of mind to just carry it with him and discard it at an aid station.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Not enough people are talking about that. It's completely on the PTO employee. As soon as he gets involved, penalty can't be given, in my opinion. Like I think that's pretty simple. If Jan had a given that, if, if Jan had a discarded it or given it to anyone else that wasn't in like a PTO official penalty every single day of the week, but we, we can't preempt him. He would have just chucked it down his shirt a hundred percent. What's he going to do? Just drop it on the blue carpet? He's never going to do that. He would right. have taken it off, jumped on his bike on, Oh fuck. What do I do with it? Down the shirt or down his back, whatever. Like obviously he would have done that. So it's, it's completely on the PTO employee. Um, and that, that sort of speaks to like the PTO being new as well. Like, and you know, you can't make those mistakes as a PTO employee. Stay out stay out of the race like that. Like you can't be doing that. So
2: But also, Jack, I mean, as much as he's a PTO employee and he's he's probably a fan of the sport and one of the greatest athletes in our sports history is right there. I mean, yeah, he, he probably should have done his he probably should have done his job, but he was probably just in awe, like I we all it. are, you know, when, when the when the great athletes are right there and it's Jan's second last ever race and um yeah, lesson learned. I'm sure he won't um, pop his head up again where he shouldn't.
0: <laughs> no, I get it. But, like, you don't see Tade Pogacar riding up the, the tourmalade and go and, you know, give him a drink bottle and push him up and run next to him, do you, just because you're a fan? Like, I get it. You want to. You want I agree. to. Um, hey, Rini... Uh, Matthias Magier, the hardest name to say in Triathlon, wasn't <laughs> he? Crowy, you're commentating Singapore this week. You you get a sheet of like hard names. Matthias's name wasn't even on the hard name sheet. And I was like, does anyone know how to say this name? I, I've literally had him explain to me how to say it. I still can't say it. How's it not on the sheet? Uh, I think for people in the know, he was uh, someone who you had to look out for. He's had a great year. He He's such a consistent all-round all round triathlete. Um, he's probably been one of the, the top five or ten long-course athletes this year, and he's just been doing it in sort of hidden races. So um, I, I sort of was trying to put it out there before the race that this guy is, like, the most underrated tri- triathlete in the world, and then it played out exactly like that. Um Rini, what did you think of Matthias's race? Did you expect that, or did did it sort of come out of the blue for you, like it did um, sort of most people?
3: Yeah, completely out of the blue for me. I'd actually never even heard of him, and that maybe is just me being more, you know, focused on women's racing than the men's racing and and the US racing and sort of what my husband's doing. Um, and again, you, as you said, I mean, there's so many races going on around the world, and um, and it's hard to know, like he's, he's been winning races in Europe and we know that now, but like against really good guys. Um, but he hasn't been like highlighted in big races. And then, you know, I, I, I just didn't know. Uh, I certainly know who he is now and I know he's definitely going to be a factor in every race he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a complete surprise to me.
0: What did you think about Matthias Crowy?
2: He was very strong and and, i yeah, I hadn't heard that much of him. I I think he, did he get second? Jack, you're the, um, the guy who's all over the results. He got second at the Challenge Championship, I think. No, he
0: he won that. Oh, he he won
2: it. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah,
0: so Tom Tom Bishop, Fred Funk, and Aaron Royal, they sort of uh, swam together, and then those three worked together on the bike, got a gap. Matthias rode solo pretty much across to them, and then just blew them apart on the run, ran Hmm. ran three minutes faster.
2: Yeah, so he's a guy, and I've seen his name pop up a couple of times, but again, it's to win a race is one thing, but to to be out putting your fingerprints on a race like the PTO US Open is, that's what shocked me a little bit. I'd, I'd seen the name and I'd seen some of the results, but to be up there impacting the race, and it's just one of those things. There's so many aspects of any race that you just can't foresee or predict. And again, Jack, you alluded to it during the coverage. I mean, when when those gaps started appearing in the bike and that separation was happening, there, there was some great swim bikers who weren't in that, front selection like Ben Canute Josh Arm Berger and potentially because they just come off Big Iron Man races I know Ben had an unbelievable race in Roth and Josh just raced in Lake Placid and I think when people aren't focusing 100 on a certain event maybe they're not right at their best um but one thing that you said in the coverage was you were surprised at how the front group on that bike had just whittled down to a, a few I things I was surprised as well I thought there was enough on paper there was enough swim-bike depth there that um, that group would be bigger and again that's why I was I I had Yarn on my podium but I didn't have him winning that race because I thought that front group will be so big he'll he'll do what he likes to do which is just sit in and hide and ride to his I mean he's very good at just executing his own plan he doesn't he doesn't race other people's races he races his own race and but when that group got so small, I thought, oh, it's going to be hard to hide in this group now, um, which made to me made his his performance even more impressive. But back to your point about, um, what's his name? I don't want to pronounce it wrong.
0: <laughs> Matthias Margie. Matthews, I, the
2: the Matthias part's easy, but the second the surname is, is a lot more difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's what I love for me. And we saw it with, in the ladies' race with Lucy Byram, who's, who's, again, she's an athlete who his name has popped up. but. When athletes have performances like that, I love it. They step up onto the big stage and really impact the dynamics of the race. Um, yeah, so it's great to see.
0: What about from the rest of the race? So we had Sam Long who finished fifth and was probably, you know, along with Christian Jan and Magnus, the most talked about person of the week. And um, and then from there, we sort of had a lot of people who were close together, like Daniel Backagard was sixth, David McNamee, who – I think everyone forgets about like I think every single start list we look at, he's never talked about anymore. He's yeah. a two-time Kona podium. He he finished uh, he finished seventh. Bradley Vice who. Again, a, a name who a lot of people probably wouldn't recognize him if they went to a triathlon, Greg Barnaby. No one would recognize Greg if, if he, he walked past them at a triathlon. I, I seriously don't think many triathlon fans would ever know what Greg Barnaby looks like. And Sam Appleton finished 10th, like like you alluded to, Crowe. He was uh, at the front of, of races five years ago, sort of f- has fallen off a cliff a little bit in terms of his race results. But again, back with a, a great re- result. Um, Lionel Sanders was next as well in 11th, I think, from memory. What what else are the talking points like? What are the the big talking points outside of the top four for you, Rini?
3: I think the biggest talking point is um, like Magnus blowing up um, the cramp. Uh, obviously, I think Sam had a, a solid all round performance, and and he was sort of running off emotion of uh, by the looks of how he raced and sort of how he carried himself all week. You know, just having a new baby boy traveling in the night before. Um, I think it was a very good performance for everything that he's gone through. Um, But he's just kind of making the steps this year. Like he's swimming a little bit quicker. Um, He's obviously riding phenomenally well um, and he's running really well. So he's, he seems to have taken a step up from last year. Um, But I think like the giants like Magnus, but again, like Magnus, as we're talking about um, coming off Ironman races, like when you come down to the hundred K distance and the 70.3 distance, it's very hard to come down to that distance from Ironman, if you've done it recently. And, you know, Jack, you said a lot, Magnus seems to recover really well, really quickly and he's able to sort of perform all year round at different distances. But that performance was one of the greatest long course performances of all time. And I think that that takes a little bit out of you, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, um, emotionally, sorry, and mentally. And yeah, I mean, I think some of that might've been in, in there um, on race day and then yeah I mean Christian obviously focusing on Paris not necessarily focusing on this I think it's easy to come up from Olympic distance races but you can't forget that that was a very flat course and Christian sort of thought that it would be ideal for him because there was a lot of turning and a lot of opportunity to get out of the saddle but it was still very big watts on the flat in the aero bars for like you know I don't know 10 minutes um you know each each way sort of thing maybe a little less than that so um yeah, not focusing on the hundred K distance definitely sort of I think came back and bit some of those big names. Um but yeah, I mean there are there's so many amazing male athletes going around right now. And you know, I mean there were I thought I thought Ben Canute coming off Roth. Um I thought I expect a little bit more from him, but I think you know he's probably focusing on Nice. And then yeah, I mean. There's a lot of guys that on, on other days, if there it wasn't right now and in between some Ironman races and this was their sole focus, might have been a different result or maybe maybe they would have been higher up in the in the positionings in the end. But uh, yeah, I mean, and that's what I love about racing too. Like you can sort of have you know, speculate who's going to be there on the day, but stuff just happens, and we saw that yeah. big time on race day, and that's where it, what keeps it exciting for us.
0: What about you, Chloe? What did you think about Magnus and sam long and and the rest of the race?
2: Yeah, well,
3: firstly, I think
2: I mean it was a non-net wetsuit swim in fresh water, so it suited the the swimmers. Um, so the first thing that I noticed was Christian had an unbelievable swim. He was third or fourth out of the water. and you know, a, a race like that without the wetsuit, I think I was like Aaron royal and and Ben they live for that. that that's that's a big advantage to them. So Christian, had a great swim. Um, the fact we're even talking about people bounce between distances and how challenging it is, I think, again, speaks volumes of why, I mean, in my opinion, Christian's, I think, the best triathlete I've seen. I mean, it's, it's not unusual to change distances. It's not. We, and that's actually the pathway. You go from short course to long course. And then if you give yourself enough recovery and change the training a little bit, you can come back and have, and have great short course races. It's very rare to see it happen in the same month. And that's what he does. He goes from an Ironman to a 70.3 to a PTO. I want to say last year he went from, was it the 70.3 Worlds to an ITU sprint race in Bergen in his hometown. So we went from a non-drafting half Ironman on a hilly course to a sprint race, city centre venue, very technical course, um, draft legal and and finished second in a sprint finish. I want to say to Alex or Hayden or... I mean, the way he bounces between distances in such a a short time frame just shows a versatility and a range that I haven't seen, like week to week. Um, The way he can just bounce between distances is incredible. Um, So, but then when we see how challenging it is for most other athletes, you realise, I mean, Ben has come off a great performance in Roth. and. Um, I want to mention Sam Upwood, and he did get tenth. I mean, I think he only got the call up for the race six days before in Milwaukee, and he was right in the midst of Ironman training. So again, I think, I think he'd be pretty happy. That's I think that's a solid performance. Um, you know, if you're not doing a lot of tempo or speed work, and you know your Ironman's still six or seven weeks away, you, you're probably in that high volume phase. Um, so he, he had a good race. Sam Long, yeah, great race. I mean, considering the week he had and. The way the swim was non-wetsuit, fresh water, I don't think suited him at all. So for him still to 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 show that improved swim um, and bike and run through up to the top five was incredible. I want to say Jason West Run, I know with social media now, races and performances get more attention and spotlight than they used to. And we're very good at saying that's the best thing we've ever seen. But I want to say <laughs> that run split is one of the best or the best run split I have seen on the men's side of the sport. I think we've seen dominant splits on the women's side and Rennie has has delivered some of those. I think Annie Haug delivered one in um, Ibiza earlier this year. It's very hard to compare between courses and even between seasons and different years, but a valid comparison I think is all on the same day on the same course. And what we saw in Milwaukee was some of the best triathletes in the world, a lot of them. Um, and some of the best in history, certainly two of them, Christian and Jan, And we saw a guy run four or five minutes quicker than not the average run split, the second run split. Um, I don't think I've seen that on the men's side. Watching watching the sports, particularly in a, in a maybe an Ironman, but not not in not in an eighteen kilometre run. I mean that that was an unbelievable run split. And Jason, I mean, he's had second in Oceanside. He got fifth in Ibiza. I think he was one or two seconds behind Yarn at the European Open. Um, You know, he's certainly stamped his name on a lot of these races and definitely a guy to watch. You're right about Dave McNamee. He doesn't get much um, airtime before the races, but just so consistent, continues to deliver really great performances, just solid. Um, same with Daniel Bakagai. He, he's the same. He's always up there in every race. So, but again, I think it speaks to Jan's performance, and and you know the the very very top guys, Magnus and Christian, the, the way they're always there, vying for the podiums. I just it just speaks to their class and their level, um, because there's so many other guys in that top ten who are truly world class, who have no weaknesses, and every now and again they pop up and get a podium, but it's just those same few names who are just always on the podium, Um, for me, that was the big takeaway from the race again.
0: My favorite training and racing fueling product by so far it's not even funny is Precision Fuel and Hydration. Their gels taste great. They don't have that yuck, fake, artificial flavory taste. They have really nice textures, unlike most thick, gooey gels. They come in easy-to-use, practical packages, so you don't get your hands all sticky and they have like a really easy-to-use twisty top on the PF90 gel, which I love. And they're not as expensive as certain marketing hype-driven nutritional brands. They've also got electrolyte tabs, which I think are awesome and every triathlete should use in training and racing. So if you want to try them for yourself, then head to Precision Fuel and Hydration's website and use the discount code HTT23 for 15% off your order every single time you shop there. Crowley, one more question about this men's race and then we'll move on to the, the women's race. Christian Blumenfeld's race, right? So he's obviously cramped and he's lost a minute 30. I think it was almost a minute 40 due to cramping. Only lost to yarn by 37 seconds in the end. Um he did a, a couple of interesting things in the race. You touched on it that he was uh, sitting second or third uh, last feet in that front swim pack of like six to eight people at any given time, something that not many people expected. Um, on that, the Norwegian, the Norwegians, so Olaf, Christian and Gustav, they've actually hired a full-time ex-Olympic swim coach who's now in the team. Like They're probably paying him 100 grand a year or whatever it is, and he's full-time with them exclusively, doesn't do anything else. So that's something that maybe not many people knew. Um, and then... The bike. So Christian, he, he went off the front of the bike and attacked early. He got out to a 30-second lead by himself, uh, 15, 20K into the bike, and um, ultimately that group came back together. But I think that was the thing, that was the catalyst that that led to that front group splitting. And I'm just I'm just wondering from your end, with that bike move, was that a mistake from Christian? Why do you think he's, he's cramping like this? It's not the first time we've seen it at a PTO race. Um yeah, talk to me a bit about Christian's race there. Do you think he cost himself?
2: First of all, I want to get a job on the Norwegian scene. If they're paying ex Olympic swim coaches. That sounds like a good gear. I mean, I spoke to Alexander in Utah. The budget they have, and and I guess their level of professionalism. It's the bar has certainly been raised, and and I think all other athletes really need to to do the same. I mean, it, it doesn't. Maxi Newman proved you don't have to go to those lengths. But it certainly doesn't hurt, does it, when you bring in that level of professionalism? But you need a budget to do it. But I digress. Anyway, back to your question. The great athletes do things and try things that maybe everybody else don't try. I mean, should have Christian ridden off the front. Probably not given that you know um, Magnus is back there. Um, you probably should wait until Magnus bridges across and then go with him. Maybe that's a smarter move. I mean, hindsight is twenty, 20 isn't it? It's, but again, the great athletes try things that, Others don't try and, and, you know, we're seeing it again this week. Christian's racing in Paris two days before Singapore. Most people would look at that and just say that that's a ridiculous thing to do. That's a stupid thing to do. But athletes like Christian don't set their boundaries according to what other people think or what other people would do. They set their, their challenges and their goals and their limitations around what they think is possible. And that's why they break new boundaries. So, I mean... If you were to ask me to analyze that, would I mean, yeah, that 30-second lead, it's probably null and void, isn't it? Once the group catches back up to you and you've just burned a match or two that you probably shouldn't have. But unless you try things like that, I mean that just goes to show, I think, the mindset that he has. He knows Magnus is back there. And Magnus is if he's not if he's not the best biker in our sport right now, if, if that title goes to Cam Worth, then he's certainly second. I mean, he's just an absolute powerhouse on the bike and you know he's coming through but christian still thinks well i don't care and i'm not waiting and um that's a little bit of an insight into the mindset of a champion right there um he's steering his own ship he's doing things his way and the rest of us can sit back and think wow that was kind of silly and in hindsight it probably was he he probably um you know would have yarn done that i mean Possibly not on what we've seen in the past. And Jan's another great athlete. I think they just execute differently. But um, the cramping thing is interesting when, when you consider the budget they have and you know the testing they do with their aerodynamics. And, and you and I talked about it briefly before you push the record button. We, we've seen Christian race in hotter races than Milwaukee. I mean, when you, I was watching the coverage live as you guys were commentating and I, I looked at the weather and it looked like beautiful racing conditions, particularly for the um, I mean, the girls got a, a probably a slightly cooler day, but even the men's race was what, 26 degrees Celsius and 70% humidity. I mean, that that that's perfect. That's right in the wheelhouse of perfect racing conditions. Christians raced in Tokyo. Um much shorter race, Olympic distance race, but much more intense, sort of explosive, surgy kind of race. Those sorts of um. High-end explosive efforts, they can elicit cramps. I think you make a good point about that, though. That's on a different bike, on his road bike. We've seen him racing Kozumel and Kona Ironman races. Um, so longer race, hotter, more humid conditions than Milwaukee, and not cramp. Potentially, the difference there is for both of those races, he got to those locations ten days or two weeks before the race, and I think that, you know, when your race schedule is as packed as his is, you cannot. I mean, there's different boxes you're trying to check. Obviously, the Norwegians, they're very big believers in altitude training and working on your body's ability to improve its oxygen carrying capacity, which is a big part of our sport. And then they come into some races very late from that altitude exposure, which potentially doesn't give you a chance to acclimate to those conditions as well as you otherwise might. So I find it interesting that, you know, Christians owe from three and PTO races and they haven't been sort of unmitigated disasters. He's had two seconds and a third. But I think when you're the best triathlete in the world, you're held to a high standard. I know he holds himself to a high standard. He He's openly talked about how he wants to win one of these. So I don't think it's out of place. us talking about that as well. And two of those three races, I think he was on track to win and then didn't win because he cramped up. Like you, I find it interesting how with all their innovation and technology and monitoring, I mean, it happened in – canada last year in edmonton at the pto canadian open i mean that's 12 months ago now and it hasn't happened since but it happened again in milwaukee which i I think has got to plant a little bit of seed of doubt in his mind especially this weekend racing in paris and then two days later racing in a very hot humid i mean singapore is next level when we're talking heat and humidity so it's one of the big talking points i think yeah fast forward seven days to next week um It'd be interesting to see what changes, if any, they've made. Um, maybe you need to put your feelers out, Jack, and, and find out what, what they are doing to address that because it's – I don't want to say it's um concerning, but it's a little concerning. It's becoming a pattern and a habit now. He gets off his bike. He cramps up in the same quad. Um, and Um, I don't think he's got a super aggressive aerodynamic position on that bike, and there were – Again, it wasn't a course like Cozumel where you're just holding that time trial position for hours on hours. There were high power sections, you know, ten minutes up to the turn, but then you're out of out of that aero position. You're cornering, dead turn, corner left, corner right. There was a little technical section up the top, little technical section down the bottom, coming through transition where you're out of the aero. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, something to look look at this week in Singapore for sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, is it a nutrition thing? You wouldn't think so. I mean, they must be doing sweat testing every week. I think maybe coming down from altitude where it's typically very, very dry climate, straight into these more humid races, Um, his body hasn't completely acclimated. That's my theory. But again, I don't know. I'm not on the inside. I'm not in camp with him. So it's hard to know. But it is interesting that it's happened a couple of times now.
0: They're doing more than sweat testing, Crowy, The famous stories of I love doing feces testing and putting things up uh, Christian's bum. So, yep, they're uh, they're going deep. uh, (laughs) Sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll put the feelers out before Singapore, uh, and I'll have it to you before the coverage, so you can sort of go with it live on air. Um, The interesting thing, Crowy, is like like sweat, altitude. It's always the same place with the cramp. It's not like he's randomly cramping. It's high up on his left yeah. quad. That, that's what makes me go to there has to be something positionally on this TT bike when he pushes hard. It's yeah. never an issue when he's just riding. Like when he's riding Cosimo or Kona where he's, he's not going crazy. He's not, you know, cornering yeah. hard, pushing out of cor- corners, standing up out of corners. It's got – like to me, it's got to be something with his position. It's not an aggressive position like you said. But – it's just it's always the same spot. It's always high up mm-hmm. on that left quad. That that's what makes me think it's not like a it's not so much a nutrition or altitude thing. Maybe they contribute to it, but there's like at the core of the problem because it's a real specific place it keeps happening. There's something positionally or whatever it is going on there. But we'll move on.
2: Yeah, that that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, it seems strange that it must be happening in a part of his his body where he's putting in a lot of effort. And it, it, that's that does speak to the bike position, so that makes complete sense.
0: Rini, we'll move on to the women's race, which this could be sort of me and Crowie sit back a little bit here, as it was in commentary <laughs> for me. It was awesome. Um, you're uh, you're obsessed with these women, and, and I love it. Um, Taylor Nib, Taylor Nib won the race. Me and you were talking all week, so it was funny, Crowie, because. Um, all the PTO employees, I would have said, Rini, they were all, you know, team Ash Gentle, weren't they, Rini, where they were just telling, like, sort of saying, like, Ash Gentle's the favourite, she's going to win. And in every meeting, me and Rini were like, no, like, we think Taylor Nibbs going to win. Um, and, and so that was funny. Um, and and we thought, we were sort of saying, like, we think Taylor Nib's the clear favourite, and Ash Gentle's probably the clear second favourite. And everyone was yeah. like, oh, really? Um, and so she sort of won in the exact way, we thought we sh- she would win and then also Not completely really. differently. Yeah, <laughs> completely, that's what I'm saying.
3: Completely different to what we thought.
0: Completely differently. So we thought that she was going to go off the front of the bike and win because of that, which she did. But the way she did it was very, very different in that she didn't actually get that bigger gap. Some girls actually put time back into her and she ran really strongly. So like if you had have looked at the race and gone, yep, Taylor Nib off the front of the bike, leading to 2-2, ran into win. You would have gone, yep, that's how we think. And that is what happened. But the way it happened was so different to what we thought.
3: Yeah, well, I think uh, going back to the swim, she didn't swim as well as we thought. She, we thought she'd be on Lauren Brandon's feet, uh, which she you know, normally swims on Lucy Charles' feet. And in, in Boulder, only like five, six weeks ago, she swam on Lauren Brandon's feet, made quicker work of transition, and she was gone. Um, this race, she was sort of in that pack. Uh, and then sort of, a, you know, a little bit of a slower transition and she had to like work to get to the front and then, and then she had to sort of obviously slowly take seconds out of the women, um, from then on. And honestly, I thought Ashley gentle's race was phenomenal. Uh, she had an awesome swim swimming in that, that second main group, um, put herself in position and then she put her nose in the wind a lot on the bike too. And she sort of, um, was an aggressor on the bike with, along with Ellie Salthouse and, and Paula Finlay. Uh, for the majority of that bike until Lucy Byron came around and sort of went, you know, split that group and took um, uh, Paula Finlay with with her. But that sort of just shows that Ashley, first of all, is such a class athlete. You know, no matter what, she's going to be a factor in all of these races. And I think we look at Taylor Nibb as sort of, you know, a kind of freak in in that she's so good in the swim and just phenomenally good on the bike and has sort of has shown her dominance on the bike and, and, you know, world champs and and pretty much every race she's done. Um, Even when she was riding on a road bike in the PTO races, she was in the uh, sorry yeah. Collins cup last year. She still won riding a road bike. So uh, has a lot of what's um, that she can push and hold uh, for this distance. I think, I yeah, I think she, I think she put together a great race Taylor near, but I think the surprise was not, you know, I don't think she swam to her ability. I think she rode very well. And I think she rode right in the wheelhouse of where she is at, but in first Ashley Gentle and Paula Finlay and Ellie Salthouse, it's rising. And they're realizing that, okay, if we want to win these races, we need to swim near the front, and then we need to really like haul on the bike. And that's what they did in this race, which put more pressure on on Taylor. But what was interesting, as you said, was that Taylor ran super strong, like from start to finish, she, she lost a bit of time to Ashley, but really not, um, what we expected. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we picked, um, Taylor, but I was sort of, I don't know if this is actually going to go down because Ashley is clearly peaking and she's actually, she's clearly done her homework and she knew Taylor was going to be in that start line. And she knew that she had to be um, in the ballpark. And I think she put herself in the ballpark. And then I think she just, you know, being a already what, two time champ, one time second place finisher, she sort of mentioned it in the finish line that, you know, now people are like, Well, if you want, you know, you've got to do the work. You're the runner here. Um, and if you want to win this race, you sort of, after a while of winning races, people sort of look to you and sort of say, Well, I'm not gonna pull you around this course. You're you're gonna have to do it. And so not she was sort of a little bit forced into that position, but I think she was also cognizant of the fact that she couldn't let Taylor get too much time up the road. And so she's clearly, you know, has everything she needs to be a factor in every single hundred K distance race, 70.3 distance race, middle distance triathlon, um, that we see her in, uh, and she really wasn't that far off the victory. So uh, I think, that was an amazing performance from Ash. And I think we're just going to see her get better and better.
0: So Crowe, Ash Gentle and Taylor Nibb, um, well, Ash Gentle in second was about four minutes ahead of third uh, in Paula Finlay. Uh, and they really were in a bit of a class of their own in the end, Taylor and Ash weren't there. And they, And they were sort of having their own battle out on course and everyone else behind was having a separate battle. Uh, Ash Gentle did still, and I think this got lost to me a little bit when I was watching the the race live because it sort of seems like Ash put a little bit of time in and then it sort of all balanced out. But in the end, Ash did put two minutes into Taylor Nibb. so that that end move of Lucy Byron co- coming around and taking Paula Finlay with her, and then Ash having to do the work while Ali Salthouse sat on her wheel and and losing that sort of minute in the last 15k of the race, that really was decisive in the end and sort of separated them with Ash Gentle finishing 51 seconds behind Taylor. There's a couple of things with this Crowey, that I, I'd like to talk about. So, uh, I was chatting to Ash after the race at, at the drinks, and she said, like, I she was the first person I talked to, and she just looked like when you walked in the door and she looked completely wrecked and I'm like oh how'd you find it and she goes that was fucked up like she's just like that bike was insane like she's like "Um, I had to do so much work like you know Ali Ali was just looking to me to do all the work and um, I just had to ride so hard and she goes I got off the bike and I was cooked like I just felt garbage and I felt garbage the whole run and I was just holding on This is the person who had the fastest run split of the day by over a minute, might I add, and put two minutes into Taylor Nib. It it sort of speaks to, you know, um, that Ash Gentle isn't just a a runner and Taylor Nib isn't just a cyclist. There's sort of a little bit more to these two girls and they are two of the most complete triathletes on the planet right now.
2: Oh, for sure. And I think, look, at the highest level of the sport on, on the men's and women's side, there's just so beautifully balanced athletes across all disciplines. And there are certain occasions where an athlete just has an unbelievable strength though, like Taylor on the bike or Lucy Charles Barclay in the swim, where they're almost world-class or they are world-class in that actual individual discipline. And we've seen Lucy go into swim races and almost qualify for the Olympics in the open water swimming or was it the 800 freestyle during the pandemic. Taylor got, I think, third or fourth in the U.S. time trial championships, I mean, but just because they have an amazing strength, it doesn't mean they necessarily mean they have to be weak in the other disciplines. I mean, the best athletes are well-rounded, and I know, I know. I mean, Rin's been a huge fan of all, all these girls, but I know when we were commentating together, Rin at the seventy-point-three awards last year, I was throwing up names who, and you were just shoot, well, not shooting them down, but said, no, no, Taylor's going to win, and this is how she's going to win, and she's going to it's not probably not even going to be close in the end. And that's exactly how it played out. Um, Of course, that was a different course played to her strengths beautifully with all the climbing on the bike in Utah. And and that race actually played out pretty much precisely how Rennie said it would. Um, And she picked the podium there that day as well. So yeah, I just think Taylor's she's unique in that she's probably not going to be the best swimmer in the field if Lucy's there or Lauren Brandon, but she's going to be on their feet usually. So That puts her in the top three swimmers in the sport. And then she has this amazing bike strength. So her two best disciplines are the first two that are on tap every race. But we've also seen – I think I read somewhere her coach said she ran a 32 or 33-minute 10K um, last year when she'd come off her injury and got got some run miles into her legs. So, yeah, she's just a beautifully balanced athlete across all disciplines and can can bounce between different distances as well. We've seen her in ITU sprint races – Olympic distance races. She's just an incredible athlete and so young. Um, but again, listening to the coverage, she came into the sport very early. So, again, that window just shifts depending on how early you start. She's right in her sweet spot now and has got a great five or eight years ahead of her. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ash Gentle. I think she is also a, a lady who dominated in ITU racing, um, had some great wins there, was always in the race. And, is known for her running ability but yeah she showed that she can just really bite down on the on the stem and 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 put out big watts for long periods of time on the bike because like Rennie said when you are known as the best runner in the field and it's probably not even close and this is what Jason West I I think is potentially going to have to deal with in his races no one no one's going to come around and take any pulls or or, you know you're going to have to do a lot of the work and she did Um, she didn't look around she did what champions do which is get to the front and do what had to be done. And um, it was a great race. I, I think I enjoyed the the women's race in Milwaukee more than the men's race because, like you both said, it, it sort of played out how we thought it might, but just in a different way. Like the, the, the players were where we thought they were going to be. But, I mean, then when Lucy Byram came past, she looked so beautiful on a bike, her cadence, her position, and the way she just rolled through that group. And it almost, um, I don't know, I don't want to say it, it shocked Paula into action but sometimes I mean Paula's clearly a great biker as well I mean she just raced in Glasgow at the uh, world time trial championships and sometimes you get stuck in a rhythm though with a group and someone comes past all of a sudden you think well yeah I can I can up the watts a little bit here and I mean Paula was one of one of the ladies who was doing a lot of work in that second group and we thought will she be able to ride through or um and then when Lucy came past that certainly changed the race but again to Ash's credit she was still able to put out her power. She, she did lose some time that last 15 or 20 car on the bike, but, you know, did some work, did the work that she needed to do. And, and in the end fell 50 seconds short, but I think both those top two girls had incredible races. Um, and, you know, I think the ball's now in Ash's court. She needs to she needs to find that minute because that minute's probably going to be there in most races. Um, but I do think she's the big favourite moving forward into, given given that Annie Haug is, is, is going to be racing, and I know we haven't talked about Singapore yet, but anyhow he's going to be racing next week, as is Lucy Charles Barclay, which changes the race. I, I just think in that heat and humidity in Singapore, which we know Ash, she grew up grew up in that sort of climate. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. but yeah, I, I thought the women's race was was great. I loved I love seeing India Lee up in that front group. Um, Ellie Salthouse seems to have recaptured some form which we saw a couple of years ago um holly was up there as well so and cat matthews coming through is um is fun to watch too i mean giving up at that time in the swim it's a, it's a lonely day for her but she just yeah she just keeps on keeping on cat and, and you know had that race gone another k in the run she might have finished in fourth i mean she was right there so a lot of depth in the women's racing it's just such such a high level um but i do think yeah in that race the class of the field was was clearly taylor and ash they they were. A few minutes clear in the end, and but an exciting race to watch.
0: I think um, Lucy Byram's coming. She's going to be world class. Like she's already is world class. She's just finished fourth mm. at a, a PTO race, but she's only twenty four. I think she's just turned mm. twenty four. Off the top of my head. And she's part of like, she trains with Alistair and Johnny Brownlee. That's sort of her crew. She's um she, her like her head coach is Jacob Tipper who he's, he's yeah. like a, a, I think he might've even been a pro cyclist. Um, and he, he coaches pro cyclists. Like he coaches Ben Healy, who for everyone who, who follows cycling, he's had a really good year came, uh, maybe second or third at Amstel Gold, which is one of the big monuments of the year. So he's like a really high-level cycling coach. And, um, and I think she's sort of coached by him and her partner, Sam O'Shea, who used to be a pro triathlete a little bit, um, actually came out to Australia to do some races, some pro races, like maybe Nepean or Noosa and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, so she's, she's sort of training with, like, Tom Bishop and the Brownlee brothers. And so it's no wonder that, like, she's so high-level. And at 24 with that crew around her, I see her being like a big factor, maybe maybe more so in longer races. Like I, I imagine her taking that bike strength to the Ironman World Championships and and that that being like a a thing that's in her future. But I think she's going to be a factor in these PTO races going forward as well, maybe even more so than she was at the US Open. Um, Rini, was there anything else from the race that sort of stood out to you? Any talking points? Like I know for me, Tamara Jewett was probably something to talk about, Kat Matthews, um, but was there anything for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we all had OI on Tamara. Tamara. I know, <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, obviously she, you know, she lost a bit of time to swim. And again, Crow mentioned it earlier, the non-wetsuit, you know, freshwater swim um, is usually harder for the non-swimmer than it is for the, you know, the great swimmer. And when you've got Lauren Brandon in there and that second pack didn't lose that much time to Lauren. So uh, the ladies were just swimming super fast. And then the bike to, I think, you know, fairly flat course uh, is going to be harder for, an athlete like Tamara Jewett. Um, I think she's better on a hillier course as we saw in Oceanside where she was able to stick with, you know, Chelsea Sedaro and, and that sort of pack of women. I think Kat Matthews might've been in that group or she may have gotten ahead in Oceanside. Memory fails a little bit there, but she was basically in the mix um, or in touch on the bike on a hillier course. But this one was just a bit, just a bit harder for her. And she just sort of kept falling back and falling back and falling back. And when you're, you know, 10 minutes back on on the bike, you know, 18K run, you're not really, with these ladies, you're not going to, um, you know, really factor in the race. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love seeing Kat Matthews out there. She's such a tenacious athlete. Um, and, you know, I, she's when she first sort of came onto the scene a couple of years ago, you know, sort of right after the pandemic, I, I was sort of surprised at her confidence, first of all. But also then she backed it up, like second place at Ironman World Champs in St. George, right. um, sort of a factor in all the halves that she did. Um, obviously, a big was a big name going into Kona uh, last year as well that we were really looking forward to watching. Um, and, again, I'm going to be very excited to see how she performs this year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just think she's coming on and I think she'll be someone to watch in the future as she improves that swim. Um, she has, you know, she could bike with the lead ladies, I believe. Um, and then, you know, has the run pedigree as well to, to finish off a race. So, uh, I think she's definitely someone who we are to watch in the future. Lucy Byram was exciting, uh, new talent uh, that I didn't know a whole lot about. Uh, but I guess we, we'll, I know a lot now <laughs> and I won't, uh, you know, it's really fun to see young athletes come in and, you know, you see the established athletes and they just got logoed up, you know, sponsors everywhere. And Lucy <laughs> Byram's just in like the kit with, I don't know, Maybe. You know, it's not probably a kit, maybe she bought off the shelf, I don't know. Um, but I love seeing that um, you know, athlete come through and just have that breakthrough performance and sort of uh, burst onto the scene. So looking forward to seeing her race, racism um, in, in the future.
0: Yeah, we sort of saw that with Matthias and Lucy, didn't we? Like two like exciting stories, young, young athletes. It's like, oh, no one's going to sort of take them for granted or underestimate them again. So we'll see them at the the front of their next race and be like, Oh yeah, now we know who they are. And that is a fun part of the sport. Hey, I think we jump ahead to Singapore quickly and, and just have a quick look at both the races and, maybe not try and make too many predictions but just have a a bit of a broad chat about the races we'll start with the men again because i think they are racing first again um so it's a on paper these 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 are exciting fields they're much smaller and we don't really see this in any triathlon maybe you see that in some like ironman races but they're small fields usually because they're weak fields you don't often see these really small really strong fields like i I can't even really think of one recently. Um, so with the men, we have some some of the notable names in my opinion. Racing, we have Christian Blumenfeld, we have Gustav Eden. Magnus Dittliv's going to be there again. Sam Laidlow's going to be going to be showing his face. He won Challenge Challenge London, by the way, um, the the day after the or two days after the the PTO US Open over the, on the other side of the planet. Um, Maxi Newman, who you know, people might be forgetting about, but it's probably the informed triathlete of the year. Sam, I think Sam Long might be doing the flight over. I haven't confirmed that, but I think he might be. Aaron Royal's going to be there again. Daniel Backagard. Um, who else is there? Ben Knut's there. Jason West there again. So it's like, and that's pretty much everyone in the field. I'm probably only missing five names who, who, who aren't there. What do we make of this race, Crowey?
2: Well, a couple of things that the small field will, will change things a little bit. Um, but I think I read there's eight of the top 10 on the PTA rankings going. So it's probably going to be the strongest field of the year. I mean, um, some of those names you mentioned, Aaron Royal, Daniel Backagard, Ben Canute, they're great swimmers. So I think I don't think this is a swim group that you want to miss um, next weekend on the men's side. Um, yeah, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, Max. I think he's the favourite. I, I don't know. He hasn't raced much, but he tends not to race much. I mean, he raced quite a bit last year. He did, I know he's particularly the, the back half of the year, he did Ironman Cairns, which he won in an unbelievable showdown. That was just a straight shootout with Braden Curry, an un- incredible race. I think he won his third on the bounce there. Had a great race in Kona, of course, finished fourth, and then went and laid down a seven-hour 45 Ironman in Busselton at the end of the year.
0: He also did his best performance at Sunny Coast, I reckon. I reckon his Sunny Coast race was the best performance he did last year, which was before the World Championships, where he had an absolutely crazy run battle. He was insane that day.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of these races just fly under the radar now. They don't get much media, and but it doesn't downplay the performance. Um, you know, just because there's no media around it doesn't mean it wasn't a great performance. But um, this year, he's done hell of the West and had a win. And obviously, his race in Ibiza was just incredible. Um, And again, he's just got no weaknesses. He's a front pack swimmer every day of the week. So he will be with those names I mentioned before. He's strong on the bike. He loves the heat and humidity. I just can't see a scenario. I mean, you don't want to put, I guess you don't want to put your your, your head out too far because it'll get taken off. But I just can't see a scenario where he's not vying for the podium in this race. I just think, I guess the only question mark is he hasn't raced too much this year, but he kind of likes that too. I, I don't think. I mean, he it allows him to go away and just get really great training blocks in. So, yeah, I, I'm picking him to be right up the front of the race. Um, Magnus is an interesting one, isn't he? Because, I mean, they've got Nice coming up soon. And whereas I think Max has given himself a lot of training time this year, and now he's he's at the point where he's just – probably putting a bit of chalk on the pool cue, you know, he's going to do Singapore and then head over to Europe. And I think he'll be in a really good place um, from a training standpoint and fitness-wise. Magnus has raced a lot, so um, it'll be interesting. His bike strength will will impact every race. I did have a quick look at the course, quite technical, a couple of long straight sections though where I think Magnus can lay down his power and and, um, potentially string string the field out, especially with such small numbers. I think the big question mark is how the Norwegians, I mean, have they chartered a plane from Paris? I mean, what are they doing there? Are they flying commercial? What's happening nah, with their budget? I
0: think it's private. I think they I think they're flying private.
2: Well, there you go. I mean, helps to have deep pockets, I guess. I mean, it's the only it's the only way you could really do it, to be honest. Um, but still, you're coming off a hard race in an aeroplane. How's your recovery going to be? I mean, their training volumes and their loads and intensities suggest they're gonna be able to handle it, but it's still. I mean, I think there's still question marks hanging over Christian. I mean, I've, I've picked Christian every race he's done the last two years, but I, I don't know. I, again, I just don't know what's going to happen here. This is a. Uh, I'm excited to see how he pulls up two days after racing in Paris. It will be interesting. And if he can pull it off, I think it will be one of the greatest feats in the history of triathlon, particularly if he has a good race in Paris and then backs it up with a great race in Singapore – just can't imagine there's too many people who would be able to do that um and you need a lot of things to fall into place you need good people around you they got the coaching staff and the entourage and i think you can't you can't undertake a challenge like this on your own you need you need it i have a quick question is gustav racing in paris as well
0: no he he was supposed to be crowey but the north this is crazy story actually so um he was he was supposed to be racing He's in a bit of a feud with the Norwegian Federation. So is Christian and so is Olav. So they've split from the Norwegian Federation, right? So the Norwegian Federation of, this is my understanding of the story, might be wrong. This is what I've been told. That they wanted uh, a percentage of Christian, Olav and Gustav's sponsorship money. Christian, Olav and Gustav laughed at them and said, that's a ridiculous percentage. You're not getting that. There was back and forth on that. And then it just—they never—they never sort of got to an agreement. Now, from my understanding of the situation, they, the federation was asking a lot, um, when you know how much those boys make from what they're doing. But it's led to a bit of a feud because um, Gustav's brother Mikael Eden is a coach with the Norwegian Federation. And they've had a bit of a, a rocky year, I think, and maybe their relationship hasn't been that 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 good for the brothers, which we both know how, or we all know how close they were, and 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 yeah. was there every step of the way with Gustav. So it's a very crazy situation, and it's ended in um, Gustav being stripped of his position at the test event. The Norwegian Federation, yeah, they they removed him from it, which is. Uh, a story that's actually probably not being talked about enough. It's, it's getting a little bit of mention, but it's a crazy, crazy story. So he's not racing and, and he's just all in on um, Singapore and I'm, I'm hearing maybe 70.3 Worlds as well.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, again, it just speaks to the – you need stability. Um, to have long-term success and consistency, you need stability. And I know personally Gustav's had a rough year as well and Macau. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I mean, I think they're the two best Ironman triathletes on the planet, and I think they're the two best middle-distance triathletes on the planet when when they're in form, when they're happy, and when they're racing well. So, of course, throwing test events in two days before, that, that that changes a lot. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'd love to see Gustav race in Nice, and he's probably not, and we're not talking about Nice now. Again, I'm going off on tangents here, and I apologise, <laughs> but – I mean, if we see Gustav in his best form, he's one of the guys to beat in Singapore next week, for sure. I mean, he'll swim close to the front. He'll do what he has to do on the bike. And I think he's running over the middle distance and long distance is as good as we've seen in our sport. I mean, consistently laying down mid-2.30 marathons, two-hour 35, two-hour 36 marathons. Um, I want to say he ran a 58 in Edmonton last year in the PTO, so he broke the hour there. Just efficient, consistent. Um, what version of him we're going to get next weekend? Well, I guess remains to be seen. But Sam Laidlow is another interesting one into the mix. He'll swim and bike at the front. He seems to, I mean, he's had an up and down year. As a tipster, do you have any confidence in I mean after his second place in Kona last year, you know, I thought, wow, he he seems to have worked out, you know, and I think it, it takes time for every athlete to work out and manage themselves well to be able to deliver that consistency. Race after race. And I think with Sam Laidlow last year, we saw a little inconsistency, but we also saw two fourth place finishes at the PTO races, a second place in Kona. And I thought, okay, the penny's dropped. He seems to figure it out, the things he needs to do. But then this year's just been a roller coaster again. I mean, he, he pulled out in Lanzarote. He was up the front with Magnus in Roth, but then faded, but guts it out to his credit and got seventh. But then we saw a great performance, I think, last week in, in London. So be interesting to see what he, I mean, you know, I have no confidence tipping him to win it, but, I mean, I'm, I'm always interested to see him race because when he gets it right, he he does change the dynamics of a race. Um, He was one of the guys who, you know, shook the Norwegian boys up in Kona last year, along with Maxi Newman. Um, you know, everyone was expecting just a Norwegian domination, one, two, who's it going to be, Gustav or Christian. I think Max and Sam really made that race in Kona last year. So it'll be interesting to see what Sam Laidlow does this week. Um Jason West and Sam Long, it might be a tough day for those guys, uh, if unless they can get together on the somehow on the bike. But I can see a very strong front group in Singapore in the men's race. Aaron Royal, um Daniel Backergard, um, who are the other swimmers?
0: Max Ben
2: Canute. Max Newman, Ben Canute, Maxi Newman, Sammy Laidlow. So that, that's a that's a power group right there and they're not going to be hanging around. Ken Christian swim the way he did in Milwaukee I mean he needs to be in that group as does, as does Gustav so in some respects a smaller field makes it easier in the beginning it, it's not as much of a fight and you can get on feet quite quickly and create separation from the lesser swimmers but in other ways if you miss that group you miss if you miss the train when it rolls out of the station there's no coming back and I'm sure Aaron is going to take that swim out at warp speed um, in Singapore. And and Ben and Daniel will as well. That they'll be. They won't want it too many passengers on the bike. So they, I, I I can I can see a very fast swim in our future.
0: I'm going to put it out there, Sam Laid though, whether it's the the Singapore or whether it's the Ironman World Championships, he'll have an amazing performance in one of them. I'll guarantee it. I'll sort of I'll put a thousand bucks on it type thing. You know, I just he's, he's which one I don't. Which one? If I had to in- if I had to put nice. money on it, nice. I'd be put I'd be putting it on Nice. Yeah, and I think. If he's going to have an inconsistent day, it'll probably be uh, the Asian Open here. But he had a actually really good day at London on the weekend. And Sam Lade, though, he just uh, I think his career might be a bit of a story of inconsistency at the start of the year and then getting it right towards the end of the year. He's I think he's got a few things in place that uh, he 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 sort of knows he he's young, but I think he knows how to get it get it right when he has to. Um, Gustav Edens the story for me. Like I, I know like there's Christian Blumenfeld and Maxi Newman and Magnus Ditlev, but Sam Long, but for me, it's Gustav Eden. Crap year for his standards. He, you said, Crowe, that you've picked Christian Blumenthal in every race he's done in the last two years, but the exception of that is you have picked Gustav Eden to beat him a few times. And last year, I think everyone can sort of acknowledge Christian might have had more results, but Gustav Eden's results were better. And when they both raced each other at their best, Gustav Gustav beat him. And then he's and and then he's just had this year where tough personal situation, some crazy personal situations as well, and. And a, and a rough year where he's well, well, well below his best. And I don't know, we, we have this habit in this sport, Crowley, and we've talked about this in the past, in writing champions off. How many people, and we've all done it. Like, I know me and you have Crowley, I'm sure you have, Rini. Me and Crowley sat here and talked pre-St. George, and we talked Daniela Reef off. We said, no, nah, her career's dumb, we think. Like, she's probably not going to get back to where she was. And she won St. George, and then she probably had her best day ever this year at Challenge Roth. So, um, and I think a lot of people did it with Yarn, myself included. So... I don't want to make that mistake of doing this with Gustav, of thinking like, no, nah, he, he can't win it. He'll get dropped in the swim. He'll, he'll have a rough day and he'll, he'll be a long way off that lead pack. It just wouldn't surprise me if we saw him, you know, swim closer to the front, ride easy, and then, and then run a 57 to win the race. It, it literally wouldn't surprise me at all.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Again, it depends what version of him turns up. If it's the best version, then he'll get first or second in this race for sure. Is, is he any chance of racing in Nice or is there, there's no chance he can race there?
0: So I heard, <laughs> again, uh, it's sort of like flimsy when, you, when you're when you talking like this, but I heard Nice was a chance. And then I heard the focus maybe was shifted to the 70.3 World Championships and maybe that's his A race. It's like, well, fuck it. Let's salvage the year by going and winning the 70.3 World Championships and going all in on that. So that that's what I'm hearing now. Don't know if that's true, but... I think that's what we're going to see. And maybe Nice got put on the back burner as like a step like a bridge too far. But but I think he is he's sort of been training for for a while now, a couple of months now with with all eyes set on 70.3 world championships.
2: Yeah, we I guess you've got to kind of gotta pick one or the other. This the schedule is packed. I mean, we've got Singapore. We've had Milwaukee two weeks ago, Paris test event. Now we've got Singapore coming up next weekend. Worlds the following weekend. Nice not long after that. So, yeah, I think there's um, a lot to be said for holding your composure and fighting that urge to jump into everything and just picking one or two that you really target. Um, But it's going to be an interesting race. For me, the talking point is, Limited smaller field size. What 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 does that do to the race dynamic? I mean, we're seeing seven of the top ten in the world or eight of the top ten in the world here. So, but it's certainly I think going to be a slightly different race dynamic, and I think it's going to be the kind of race where you want to be in that front group, Um, unless of course you can ride like Magnus. Uh, If you don't ride like Magnus, I think that front group will will smell blood in the water this week and think this is a chance for us to get away and pocket some of these uh, PTO dollars.
0: It, it's the first race ever I think ever where Max Newman's going to go in as a favorite he's been like per, like perennial underdog but it's probably the first race ever he's going to go in as if not the favorite definitely a, a second or third favorite. Um, the one sort of caveat to that is he was injured he was definitely injured and that's why he missed some racing and didn't do much and went back to Australia and had a had a sort of period back home. Um, yeah, he was injured. So I don't know how he's been going with that and, and, and whether he's quite back to 100%, but we're definitely going to find out at Singapore because if he is, conditions suit him perfectly, course suits him perfectly, field suits him perfectly. If he's 100% fit, I mean, he, winning, not winning is, is, um, I would say, I would say if, if all those things are, are like, if he is fit, he should win. That, I'm going to put that out there. He shouldn't even, like, podium should be a failure for Max at this race. And that's saying something because we know the strength of field and we know Christian and Gustav. But with the with how Gustav's year has been going, with how much racing Christian's doing, Max should win this if he's if he's fully fit. Is there anything with this race, Rini, that, that you want to add before we move on to the women's race?
3: I mean, I think you guys have covered pretty much, pretty much everything here. But, yeah, I like Max's chances if he, you know, I wasn't aware of his injury, but I was sort of picking him. Mm. Uh, I like his schedule, um, you know, not racing a whole lot, getting training done. Um, is he over in Australia?
0: Yeah, I think he's about to fly yeah. to Singapore.
3: Yeah, so he's on the same time zone, easy flight to Singapore. Uh, you know, that all just plays to his advantage. And then obviously Christian Blumenfeld, you know, I'd never count him out just because especially after like such a – he was devastated in Milwaukee to to have – I mean, he was so confident going in and I think that's – I, I think he made a mistake on the bike. I think he pushed too hard. He didn't need to, he could sit in and run out, outrun everyone in my opinion. Um, so I think he made a mistake. I think he was overconfident in, and I don't think he will make the same mistake in Singapore, but that being said, he is flying from, you know, Paris to Singapore, the hot race, the cramps, there's those question marks. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a very, you know, we saw it, 70.3 Worlds, he was devastated after Kona and then bounced back and won 70.3 Worlds and then went and did a sprint race a few weeks later and and was second uh, there. So I think a very motivated um, Christian is dangerous. Um, but yeah, and Gustav's just a big question mark, right? Like he hasn't had, he's had basically a terrible year um, and I'm sure he's so hungry to just get a result on the board and, and whether that's this one or whether that's 70.3 Worlds, I think you'll have one good Good race. Um, and then, yeah, and then you've got, I, I think it's, it's going to be a strong, really strong front pack. And then, yeah, as you said, Jason West, Sam Long. I think it's going to be really hard. I mean, Magnus is going to be coming through. If Sam doesn't swim with Magnus, then I think it's going to be really hard for Sam to catch up because I think that front group, but it might just splinter like it did in Milwaukee where it yeah. was a front group, but then all of a sudden there was almost two groups and there was a front pack and then there was the Ben Canute, um, Daniel Backagard, um, uh, Aaron Royal group that kind of wasn't able to go with that front group right away. So it'll be t- interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. Uh, but again, I think Max Newman, I think is, as you said, the favorite and actually, but, but also being the favorite and never have been having been the favorite before. What's that going to do to Max? You know, he likes to go in as the underdog. Maybe he likes it. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know Max personally. Um but it's different when you have a target on your back and everyone's talking about you and the boys know that you have the ability to win. And so then they treat you differently and maybe they make you work a little harder on the bike and um, and also there's a little bit more pressure on your shoulders. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that pressure.
0: He's a pretty calm, tough bastard, Max Newman. I reckon he's <laughs> one of those guys who like – I don't think I don't think anything affects him. He He'll sort of just he's yeah he's a, he's just a tough bastard, but he's also super calm and, and relaxed when he needs to be. So yeah, I think I think actually being the favourite might suit Max a, a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. Someone like we won't talk about him, but maybe in the Matthias um, uh, sort of mould is Newt. He's a wild card for the race. Fourth oh. at the seventy point three world champs at about twenty one years old. He, someone to watch he swims a bit weak for this field i think so i don't think he'll find himself in matthias's position but he is probably um now that matthias is well known mika now probably takes the mantle as the most underrated middle distance triathlete in the world um moving on moving on to the women's race uh rini again a a small field it's not as strong as the men's field it's it's in my opinion it's nowhere near as strong as the men's field but the top end is strong. So we've got Ash Gentle coming back. We know she's targeting it. Lucy Charles Barclay being in the race for me makes it so much more exciting. I love the dynamic she adds. I wish she was at the US Open. It would have made that race funner again. Annie Haugu, um, I actually still think her Ibiza performance is the most impressive female performance of the year a- ahead of Danielle Reef at Roth and ahead of Taylor Neb at US Open. Just my opinion. Um, Chelsea Sodaro. No one knows what's going on with Chelsea. No one knows if Chelsea's in form, how much she's training, if she's fit, if she's healthy, where's Where's her head at. No one knows. I, 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 and like I think that's going to be a little bit of a side pot that I'm really excited um, to see, see the return of Chelsea at, at, at the back end of championship season. Then from there, the, the the field does drop off a bit. Ali Salthouse is there again. We know she was at the front of the race. Finale Langridge is there. She'll be at the front of the swim, very strong swim biker. She's actually really improved her bike this year um, but after that it does drop off a bit Lottie Wilms is there her run and bike are just not strong enough for this level of field but she's a world-class swimmer um, ex-pro swimmer could probably swim with Lucy if she has a good day tell me about this field Rinny.
3: yeah I mean I, I didn't know who was racing so thanks for going over the <laughs> recap there um, but in that field I, I'm picking Ash to win. Um, I think she's in form, clearly in form and she's targeted these two races. She's not going to Finland. Um, she's going to want to pour every ounce of everything she has into this race. She's going home after four months away. So also it's sort of one more step closer to home. So, um, I think Ash, um, is my pick for the win unless something, you know, catastrophic happens and, um, you know, sickness or, um, mechanical or something. Uh, then I have, Annie Hag running into the podium, um, Lucy Charles is going to be in really good form because she's getting ready for Kona. So, um, I think she's going to be, I think Annie Hag and Lucy will be the other two spots on the podium. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, you know, Annie will be behind obviously out of the swim. So will Ash, will they be together on the bike? I don't, I think Ash might be ahead of Annie on the bike, but if Annie can hang with Ash, obviously that changes the dynamics again. Um, Yeah, I mean, both uh, Lucy and Annie are getting ready for Kona, so they're sort of coming into their business end of the season. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a a fascinating race to watch. But, um, yeah, again, I I think I'm picking Ashley just because she's so consistent. And this is her world champs. There is no Kona that she's getting ready for. There is no, uh, you know, 70.3 Worlds that she's looking at, you know, using this race to springboard into. This is it. This is the last big race of the year for her as as far as I'm concerned or as far as I know. I'm sure she'll go and win another Noosa title in in November. But, yeah, I think due to the fact that she is all class at this distance and she is, you know, peaking right now, I think she's the favourite.
0: Crowley, over to you.
2: Yeah, I agree. I had the same podium. I think Ash, so consistent, loves these conditions, hot and humid. I mean, I I saw her interview after Milwaukee where she said it's going to be brutal. So I think she's already mentally getting ready uh, for the conditions over there. And she's raced so well in these conditions before. So, yeah, I have picked her for the top spot on the podium. Um, I think Anne and Lucy are the other two standouts for the podium as well. It's interesting, those two ladies, they will be gearing up for Nice as well. So what phase of training are they in? I just can't see them being as sharp and as focused for this as Ash. So, but quality, nonetheless. I mean, I think we saw Annie Haug's race in Ibiza. Just, I mean, when she's targeting that middle distance, she is as good as anyone. Um, and she showed that day she was better than everyone. Her bike, her swim bike and run that day was awesome. I think the thing is, when you got a, I guess, an Ironman in your near future, just depends what part of training phase you're in. So, um, but again, like the like the men's race, I just think. The smaller field will will change the dynamic and you you think that being in that front swim group will help. I keep leaning to that, but then I think, you know, again, as we saw in Milwaukee, if if that front group splits up in the women's like the men's did, and and the front group in the women's could be Lucy Charles, Lottie Wilms, potentially, I'm thinking more that next group, that that might splinter because of the conditions as well. So potentially coming out of the, the water behind won't be as much of a penalty. So who knows? These smaller fields do change things up a lot. I think there's safety in numbers on the bike for sure. If if it takes you a while to get your legs and get into your race, the pace can still be high. I mean, you know, you get drag kicking and screaming along with it sometimes. So um, it'll be interesting. It's certainly a different race dynamic the smaller fields, but I like it. I think it'll it gives athletes a chance potentially one in the front group, like in the men's with Sam Long again. If you're good enough. Um, you can you can come through but I, yeah I just think Ash is the standout um I, I'm going to pick her mentally she's going into this knowing it's her last big race of the season um so she'll be sort of have that world championship mindset going in and but a lot of class at the front of the race I don't know about Chelsea uh, yeah she just hasn't raced much forilla language she'll she'll factor in she did in Kona last year she does does in a lot of the races that she's in swimming biking she's always, in the mix up towards the front of the race. So I think there's some opportunities here for some of these girls to get top fives as well. Um, if you can bring good form and it's a hot, humid day, so if you can race to the conditions and you bring a high level of fitness in, there's an opportunity here.
0: Yeah, I think finale and Ali are those two. I think they could easily Allie come. From- yeah.
3: yeah, I think top yeah. five is yeah. definitely a reality for her.
0: Yeah, I, I think they could easily finish fourth and fifth. And do- Chelsea's the unknown. Chelsea could finish second, third, or tenth, like or not finish. Yeah. I think everyone doesn't know. But um let's assume we get a great version of Chelsea. I think everyone's still thinking, like if you if everyone's picking this race beforehand, I think it'll be Ash, loose and Annie. And it's just like what order people have them in. Everyone just expects them to be the podium and then yeah, Chelsea finale and and sort of Ali might be the next three, I think. Um, Does this course suit Lucy Charles or not? Because you expect her to get away on the swim here with only probably Finello and maybe Lottie. I don't think Beck Clark, maybe Beck Clark being able to sit on her feet. But there's every chance Lucy just comes out of the water by herself here, the same way Lauren Brandon does, but actually just rides off on this field and comes into T2 with a pretty big gap. Are we expecting that? Are we expecting her to be into T2 solo or are we expecting the group to catch her?
3: It's a good question, Jack. I think, um, I don't know, is it a two-lap swim?
2: It is two laps, but it's it's an interesting swim. You do a lap sort of out and back to the pontoon, but then you go point to point. So where you start is separate from the transition. So um,
3: That might be good for Lucy, actually, that long straight at the end as well where she can mm. put her head down and say, see you later. Uh, I mean, honestly, even if she gets out with anyone else, maybe Fenella, Lottie, I don't think, I mean, Fenella I think might hold on um, on the bike, but I don't think Lucy's going to care. She's going to be expecting a individual time trial. Um, and you know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think she really cares. I mean, I, I think she's just trying to put time into Annie and Ashley and they're the big dangers to her. And yeah, she, she's, you know, she's used to that position. Um, that's how she races. And yeah, I mean, maybe I, I think she, we might see her come out by herself. Um, and then just, time trial by herself and just try and hold that gap um and again she may hold that gap out of the swim because she's obviously clearly um over the years has shown she's such a strong cyclist too Crowy,
0: if you and rinnie i'll ask you both this question it's probably my last big question on the women's race then we then we'll wrap it up if ashley gentle and an how come into t2 together who do you think wins given that on how ran minutes faster than her at ibiza
2: this weekend coming up, I think Ash wins if they come in together. Um, yeah, I just think Nice is a bit off. I, I, I think, I mean, look, when you're a champion like Annie is, you don't use any race as a stepping stone for another race. She will want to win next weekend. Champions want to win every time they step out. So that mindset doesn't change. What changes is what part of... Or what phase of training are they in? How is Dan Lorang? Like, what, what what's the plan with the training? Where's she going to hit her her best peak? But, yeah, I just think the heat, the humidity, similar to the Gold Coast, similar to Brisbane, you know, there's so many things that go into it other than just the physical, the training, the mindset. is on the way home. I saw how emotional she was in that interview with you, Rennie. She'd just seen Paula hug her mum. She was missing her mum. She wants to go home. Um and she's on her way home. This is this is one step into getting home. You know, there's still a little bit of work to do, of course. But I think this weekend, um, and I'd love to see that too. By the way, it'd be so nice to see. It'd be it'd be great for us to watch. Maybe not great for them, but I think Ash gets it this week.
3: Yeah, I think I I tend to agree. I would never pick against Annie How, but I think the heat and humidity, and given the fact that Ash is from Brisbane, Australia, um, grew up there, and- Obviously, Singapore is like another level on that. Uh, Annie has shown that she can run very well, but she's never really run super well in Kona. Like she's um, never—I mean, she's run very well. Obviously, won a world title and um, and done very well there. But she's the runs that she's laid down on cooler um, in cooler places. I mean, although I say that, and then Lanzarote, I'm not exactly. I think I think that's pretty hot, and she's she's run pretty fast there. So yeah, it could be mistaken, but. I think the heat's going to be the key factor in that run battle.
0: It's hard, isn't it? Because you make these predictions and then like we saw at the US Open, things are just chaotic in these PTO races. Like Ash said to me after the race, she goes, these races are literally Olympic distance races that just go for longer. She's like, if you do a WTCS Olympic race, how that feels, this is exactly how these races feel from start to finish. And that's why there's so much chaos late in the run because that last eight Ks just goes on forever because everyone treats them like Olympic distance races. So I think one thing's guaranteed is we're going to see some chaos in either race. And whether it's the men's or the women's race or both, there's going to be situations where it's like, Phew, I didn't see that coming. Just like we've seen in every single PTO race of the year, which I'm super excited about and why the PTO distance is probably my favourite distance in triathlon at the moment. Uh, the one last thing, we don't even have to talk about this. I just think this is a watching point for the Singapore Open. Um, the Asian Open, I think into 2024 and 2025, the PTO might be moving towards this format. Now, this is just my sort of own take on it. It's not really from inside knowledge, but I think based on what I do know that they are going to move towards these shorter fields and Singapore is a little bit of a sort of um, case study for that. How does this racing go? Is it is it exciting? I think that we might see a world next year where, whether it's five races they do or ten, 10 races they do, where they all only have 20 athletes in the field, 16 permanents and four wild cards or something like that, and that we're probably not going to see too many races with you know 30, 35 athletes. So I think this racing on the weekend is, is sort of important for the PTO there and, and seeing how these smaller fields go and whether it does make the race exciting might have sort of big implications for next year in the field sizes they pick. So that's just to watch this space, I reckon.
2: Yeah, well, interesting, interesting. I mean, every race is different, and, I mean, I'm loving what the PTO are doing. Um, You know, everything you do in life, sometimes you get some pushback, but, you know, just the very fact that they supported pro athletes in our sport through the pandemic, um, and if nothing else, the legacy they leave of of bringing in paid maternity leave, um, I just think it's innovative, it's ahead of its time, and, yeah, I mean, why should – Female athletes be penalized because they want to have a family. Uh, Male athletes do it. So I I love what they do. And yeah, I'm interested to watch what happens moving forward. I think anything that can make the racing more interesting, more exciting, that that sells it to a wider audience um, benefits everyone in the sport. I know there's an argument out there that um, the field should be bigger to give more athletes a chance. But if there's more racing, I mean, not every athlete's going to do 10 races if there's 10 races on the schedule. So a larger schedule. Um, lends itself to more athletes getting a chance anyway.
3: Not only that, Crowley, I think the other thing is if if they do have whatever, five, 10 races and the top athletes are going to those five, 10 races, there's so many other races around the world that then athletes that maybe aren't in the top 20 in the world aren't, don't have, you know, a contract or whatever to go and race for the PTO. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be able to go and race and, and then make the steps to then get into that top 15, top 20. And I think you know, there has been a little bit of criticism to the PTO, but I I think in any sport, the top percent make the money and that's the way it is. And that's why it's so, like, amazing when you are able to get to the top and um, it's about making the steps to try and get to the top. And uh, I think this is only going to help the sport in general, uh, just more pieces of the pie, right? Um, And going back to if they do 20 athlete uh, field size, I mean, I think, as I said, I think that's just going to be, a carrot for athletes that maybe aren't in that top 20, you know, look for trying to get a wild card, um, race consistently well in all the other races that are available uh, around the world. And what I actually really love about the PTO is that they take, You know, they're doing it all for the pro athletes. So if the 20 athlete, if that's what they're planning on doing and that doesn't work, they'll make adjustments and they will um, figure out a better way to do it because they're trying to, know, make the sport a better place for professional athletes. They're trying to grow participation in general, eventually. But uh, I think, honestly, future looked pretty dire for professional athletes before the PTO came around. So I think, uh, yeah, over, overwhelmingly, they have been a positive um, step in the right direction for pro, athlete, so professional pro athletes, for
0: professional
2: triathletes. Amen. Yeah, Yeah, agreed.
0: And uh, I think also a matter of when, not if, the PTO develop a sort of development tier of races as well. Another Watch This Space that I think is definitely coming. It's just when it's coming. Um, guys, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, obviously, with whether there's five or ten races there next year, you guys will be commentating at at least half of them, I'd say. I know that the PTO <laughs> have plans to have a pretty tight little commentary crew and all three of us are going to be there for the, the better part of most of the races next year. So we're going to see a lot of each other and have a lot of these discussions going, going forward in 2024 and 2025 great to have the first of of many uh really 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 fun and we were going to go for 30 minutes and we've gone for an hour and 30 minutes which <laughs> sort of tends to always happen when me and Crow are in the same conversation and now you bring rinny in and it only makes it more interesting so thanks guys uh Crowley, have a have a safe flight over to singapore and and rinny it was Awesome to, to commentate with you last week and get to know you a little bit better. The, the Renegade Master, as me and Alex were calling you, uh, and Miranda Carfay, as everyone else was calling you.
3: Stop saying that. You'll get it stuck in people's heads.
0: Uh, thanks, guys. See ya.
3: Thanks, Jack. Thanks,
0: Jack. If you're someone who trains for triathlon and hasn't got yourself some form goggles yet, then you just need to everyone who I coach who trains by themselves a lot in the pool, one of the first things I've always suggested is to buy some form goggles. And I was doing that well before they partnered with the podcast or I I even had the podcast for uh, for that matter. Not having them is literally, in my opinion, like running or riding without a Garmin or GPS watch or computer. And like, you just never do that. People don't do that. And there's reasons why, because if you're taking your training seriously, you shouldn't do that. So start taking your swimming that seriously and Uh, the the same sort of um, approach that you take to your biking and your running, do that with your swimming and and getting some form goggles really helps with that because it's just all your data in front of your eyes while you're swimming. It just makes things so much easier Um, and it makes you race faster and we all neglect our swimming triathlon. So stop doing that. Use the discount code HTT15 for 15% off your goggles on Form's website.